Love Talk Radio. Okay, we've got Bosch Boston joining us here in the studio finally. Third cup of coffee you're on here, Bosch. Okay. I am playing Angels of Fire for you by the Jezebels. You know I've been playing a lot of Jezebels lately. But I played this particular song now because we will, as you'll hear, be listening to Haley Mary talk about Angels of Fire in the interview that we did with her and we did it a couple days ago, but we are playing it here for you today during our regular showtime. We are in the chat room over here also at Blog Talk Radio. So even though a lot of the first hour, actually most of the first hour, because the interview is about 42 minutes long total. So most of the first hour is going to be just playing that interview for you guys and getting your reactions and seeing if you are as stunned as we were when we heard some of the things that she said, and um, I think you're going to really enjoy the interview. We were just really happy. We didn't even know what to expect. We were very happy to speak to someone whom we admired as, as a musician today, and, and I... At the end? <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so I, wanted, I wanted to play Angels of Fire so that you knew, it had some familiarity with the song that she was talking about. If you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, I have a link to a few things about the Jezebels. One is the tour. I do recommend going to see them live. This is going to be an opportunity yeah. for you to see a band that should be playing and selling out much larger venues, but you can see them in intimate venues all around the country. Not all around the country, unfortunately. Yeah. They seem to be hitting the coast right. mostly. And but, uh, they're a great, great live band. Yeah, definitely. And they really are. Excellent. Excellent. 
excellent. But I, it's, I feel like we had this trade-off with them because they did the interview with us on Wednesday, and that basically makes me able to play that interview for you now and recover from losing the sleep that I did last mm-hmm. night going to their show. Right. Right. It's like thanks, so Haley. Sure. <laughs> she 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 helped us she's, out. She's backing us up here. So anyway, I do think you're going to enjoy it. If you want to join in in the chat room and just give us your remarks as we're playing the interview, go ahead and let us know. We will sometimes just react with some written comments oh, here definitely. in the chat room. Maybe some things we'll take down and we'll address either if we have a few minutes during this first hour or at the beginning of the second hour. We'll talk about some of your comments it was funny because joel was saying break a leg and i said no no you know we broke a leg on on wednesday and he says you know really no 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 but i i think i think we did a nice job with this little interview and and we'll see what you think but i had a very delimited purpose for doing this interview and my expectations were met and exceeded in terms say, it's of not a debate it's an interview <laughs> if it was a debate it would have went differently but you know, certain things people say, they're going to say, you know, you, you might disagree. But we're not here to disagree with her and just just check it out, especially at the end. I mean, I, I think it's a great interview. Uh, I mean, we learn a lot. So. Yeah, we don't, we, don't, we don't want to say anything no. else. Anyway, again, go to the blog at DontLetItGo.com, and you will also see the stories that we plan to discuss in the second hour. This is the week of all kinds of anniversaries, a lot of very important anniversaries, and one that's not so important, which is my birthday. Not so important. Not so important. My my birthday is tomorrow, so Yeah, it's important. I think it is. Anyway, we'll see. But yeah, we're we're about to get started here, so hang on everyone. Let me see if I can do this music smoothly. And you're listening to the June 6, 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and today, more than usual, culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That's the philosophy that tells you you have the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I think it's the only philosophy on earth that does that. I think so. Here in the studio with me is cartoonist Bosch Faustin, and as I've been excitedly pronouncing all week long, we had an interview with Haley Mary, the lead singer of The Jezebels this week. You were just listening to The Jezebels. I typically start off the show with an intro from Mace Spray, 
And that was the live version of Mace Spray that you heard. You can get that live version plus all the studio music from the Jezebels either through iTunes or Amazon. And I've got both those links at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. So if you want to support the Jezebels and support this show in the process, you can use those links and, and check out some music if you haven't already. Many of you already have. And some of my show supporters with whom I shared the interview right after I did it immediately, I, um, they, they've reacted very positively to the interview. The, some of them really like the Jezebels and maybe even plan to go see them live. So that's really cool. Um, but many of you have already bought it. Some of you maybe not yet, but I encourage you to do it. What we're going to do in this first hour, as I said, is play the Haley Mary interview. And we'll just play as much as we can in the different segments. We'll play a little bit of music. And I'll be interacting with you in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio. And what we'll do in the beginning part of the second hour is discuss maybe some of the comments that came up in the chat room, although I'll be commenting with text and everything here in the chat room while we're playing the interview. And then we can also take phone calls if you want to mm-hmm. react by phone as well. You can tell me I should or shouldn't have responded <laughs> in a certain way or asked certain questions. Right. But keep, keep in mind, I had this uh, idea of I just wanted to talk with and learn about and express appreciation for somebody whom I admire and musically let her speak. today. And, and let her and, speak. And let her speak. But li- and I think, nonetheless, you'll appreciate what we got yeah. in this interview. Big so time. Here we go. I'm going to just start it. And we are with Haley Mary, who is the lead singer of the Jezebels, and they are kicking off their U.S. tour with shows on the West Coast this week. Thank you for joining us, Haley. Thank you for having me, Amy. How are you? Uh, We're doing great. I am very happy to speak with you because I've been listening to you guys since the Dark Storm EP, and it's interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And the way that I found out about you is through a Slovenian dog trainer. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a Slovenian... <laughs> uh, not... No, I have not heard about this. Okay, so there Please is Please a... tell me. This, this, this woman is super talented. You need to go check out her videos. She's a Slovenian dog trainer by the name of Sylvia Turkman. Last name is spelled T-R-K-M-A-N. And she's international... Yeah, T-R-K-M-A-N. And she's oh. inter- internationally renowned as both a trick trainer and a dog agility trainer. And she had a video, and behind the video was a little piece. And this was, you know, right around the time that Dark Storm was released. And I asked her, who's that great band? Right. And she told me, and I've been listening to you guys ever since. Uh, because I'm older, though, I'm no longer a teenager, I knew nothing about you guys. So I've been listening to you for several years. And all I knew is it's two girls and two guys from Australia and I like listening to them, and that was about it until I crammed for this interview. So, <laughs> but thank you, thank you very well, much. To be honest with you, you sound like most of the people that listen to us. <laughs> I just not—it's not necessarily a, a teenage crowd or anything. So, right. I guess teenagers are often more up on the things, up on things. But um, we have a lot of people coming to our shows that say very similar stories, actually. Like. It's not a scene or a youth scene, really. It's just people coming going, I heard you on some strange YouTube video. And it's kind of great. You get all different stories like that. Well, that's really good because word of mouth is so important these days in, in getting, especially getting international recognition for you guys. People who listen to my show, because I've introduced people on my show to your music, 
they also really love you. Not all of them because it's a you know political show, so not everybody's cup of tea. They all have different tastes. But one listener named Stephen, <laughs> one listener named Stephen wrote in, and he said, judging by the songs that he's heard from both The Prisoner and The Brink, he says the Jezebels stand way above ordinary pop music. He says, I think there is some real substance and drama to the music, and they seem to take their craft very seriously, which is important because I take music very seriously too. And we definitely agree with him. I would say over the last four years, I've gone through phases, and I've alternated between listening to Muse, Radiohead, who you listened, listed as uh, one of your influences, some U2 here and there, and you guys. And we've really, really enjoyed listening. I've got uh, Bosch Faustin, who's my co-host here, and he brags of having the best iTunes library ever. Yeah. And he he loves your music. So. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Cool. I mean, all the albums are fantastic. And I just it, it's so good. For, you know, I'm so happy to hear another new band, a relatively new band, that has the kind of hold on me that you 2 and Radiohead have had over the years. And uh, there's like a test. Wow, thanks yeah. so much, guys. This Absolutely. is like very touching. No, this is, this is I'm wow. very, very impressed. I mean, from, from the first album, I mean, you guys just really laid it on the line. You basically made a big noise, and uh, I think it's fantastic. And there's also one thing. It's just, uh, to me, there's one simple standard for the great bands. If you can give me goosebumps, I think you're a great band, and you constantly give me goosebumps. <laughs> And I just, I love it. I, love I, I will it. agree with your um, definition of a great band there, actually. Absolutely. Um, I will never know whether we're a great band because I can't listen to us <laughs> from an outsider's perspective. But right. thank you for Absolutely. telling me that. That's it's really much. nice to hear. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. So thank let's, you. Let, let's get into the grilling. If there's any kind of lag, and it sounds like I'm interrupting you, by the way. I'm just on a phone, and oh, yeah. I hope that I don't. No, I mean, yeah, no, no, no worries at all. But what we should do is we should get into grilling you with some really hard questions, right? No, oh, great. <laughs> I'll just um, have my coffee. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah we just finished ours. <laughs> By the way, do you drink butter in your coffee? Have you ever had butter in your coffee? Yeah, we do. No, I've heard about this recently, though. It's People are doing good. it. We do okay. it. We do it. Highly recommended. So for wow. next time. But, but you have to blend it in a blender. You have to, or else it just sits on top. You know? Okay. Let's let's grill her. Let's I've grill done her. cream. Right. Yeah, we do. We did heavy cream, and then we graduated to butter. That's that's where all all the cool kids <laughs> okay, are doing well, now. No. <laughs> I'm still on the milk brigade, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I'll have to catch up. Definitely. Um, okay. So. In terms of just the standard questions, I went and looked, of course, at your general background. You guys formed in 2007. You met in college. And, um, you know, in, in terms of what you did, a competition, that was the way you were first discovered? Yeah, our first show was the 2007 Sydney Uni Band Competition. Um, we were pretty nervous. I was, like, sitting down on the stage. We were actually quite terrible. But uh, we came second eventually. So um, that was kind of encouraging and meant that we kept going, I think. And then did that lead to a recording contract pretty soon or how long did you wait before you got that? No, um, we're actually independent in Australia, which means Ah. we don't have a record company at all. And we didn't have one for quite some time anywhere else either until, uh, until a couple of years ago, we signed with a couple of like independent uh, record labels in UK and Europe and the States and Canada. But, um, yeah, no, we, we didn't really have any record label interest for quite a while. And we were just starting to, you know, make our own recordings. We're still in uni or college, as you call it. Um, so we weren't, you know, 
we didn't know if anything was going to happen with the band, but we really just wanted to make music. And then um, as things started taking off, we started getting tours. We became more of a live band. And I think that kind of spread the music a bit more and we started getting radio play. And then we started getting interest from labels at home. And we were like, well, we kind of don't really need the label now. (laughs) Maybe a couple of years ago we did. So we sort of said no and we've been independent pretty much ever since. I mean, we we have been independent unless you include the uh, independent labels overseas, which are, I don't know, they're all very... um, down-to-earth labels, so I feel like we're still an independent band in the scheme of things. So Dark Storm, you guys just put that out by yourself and that was it? Yeah, all of our EPs wow. are just 100% us. Impressive. Um, in, in a lot of territories, we still... Um, I mean, we, we make the... Same with the two um, albums. We make the record and then we have this kind of deal where the, the, the record company sort of puts it out promotes it and distributes it, but it's essentially us making it, which is a really privileged position to be in, which right. we're really lucky for. And then, for, and then but, the, only, the, only yeah. pe- the only people who interfere at all creatively are your manager, for example, right? I read how your manager kind of had to tell you, okay, stop tinkering with it. We have to actually release this thing. But other than that, it's not like you have people, <laughs> you don't have people at a uh, label. Yeah. Well, he's not so much involved in creative. He's involved in practical. And sometimes they compete and he has to say, guys, it's done. Just stop it and, and put the record out, basically, because it's, it's his job to promote it and everything like that. Make sure people are actually still there to listen to it by the time we've finished screwing around with it. But um, I would say that producers are creatively involved. Right. Like Lachlan Mitchell, who we worked with from the very first EP, because we have three EPs, and and um, Dan Breck, who worked on the recent Dan Breck Margaret, sorry, who worked on the Brink with us. They're the, they're the people that are creatively involved because they have to be their engineer producers. But um, that's about it. Other than that, it's just us four. Now, how would you describe your creative process? I read somewhere that you write lyrics, but in what order do things happen? How does it go? It depends. I would. It started out more lyrically. Like I would. I had a few songs, and then we got the band together to play them. But but um, now it kind of depends. We all write, so we all kind of. Maybe the drummer will come. Nick will come forward with like a, a beat, and then the guys will write some music around it, and then I'll add a melody on top, and then I'll come up with the lyrics to last. That's generally how it happens. Like we'll have a, a musical idea, then we'll get a structure. And then I'll start singing, you know, my melody, and then eventually I'll go home and write lyrics to it over time. I'm quite slow. We're all quite slow. <laughs> but, I, don't, I don't know that you're that yeah, slow. So it's kind I mean, of like that, but sometimes. I, I, I was going to say, I haven't experienced that you're that slow. I mean, you're releasing a lot of good stuff in a number <laughs> of years, so I haven't, you know, I'm now, of course, I'm waiting for more, so just get on it, please. <laughs> Next I guess it's now. just that we released everything we write, okay. <laughs> for better or worse, pretty much. So oh. we're slow in that sense. We're not, we don't have like heaps of demos waiting like all other bands tend right. to do. Right. Um, we just kind of labor over songs, and then when we've got ten, we release them type thing. Okay. And that's you've kind of probably heard most of what we've written, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so we're slow in that sense, but. It does seem fast from the outside, I think, as well. The progression of a band can appear um, to to look 
a lot faster than it feels when you're inside it, like, because it's a day-to-day, you know, um, sort of very time-consuming job. For us, it feels slow, but I gather from the outside, it looks like things just happen, yeah. right. which is cool. You want to sustain that illusion that I'm trying to break <laughs> down right now. <laughs> I would say, you know, in any creative career, you get kind of impatient because you're not turning out widgets every day, so to speak, right? You don't just go to work and make a widget and then you have a widget to show for it at the end of the day. Anything that takes a long time, whether no. it's, you know, writing books or music or anything else is, is going to feel slow to the to the creator. It does. And it also feels unproductive most of the time. Like, I think the one thing I've learned recently is that the nothing time and the time where you feel like you're just noodling around making crap is really important time. And I think we as a culture don't do that enough. We don't ever sit and do nothing anymore. We pick up our iPhone and like look up something on Google or whatever it is. And I, I personally noticed that change since I got an iPhone and became, you know, part of the technological world. I missed the nothing time when I did nothing and I just thought and thoughts crystallized in my mind and I think I've started doing that again recently because you know, when you're doing a creative job it's important to suck and it's important to do crap things and then find the good stuff. And all all the hours that you make just nothing and you're really frustrated they are necessary hours i think yes right i mean right. i'm 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 an uh, i'm an artist and uh what artists sometimes say is you yeah. have to get a thousand bad drawings out of you a uh, thousand drawings that suck out exactly. of you before you start doing good ones that's absolutely true sorry yeah Definitely. are you a visual artist yeah i'm a cartoonist illustrator yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> what What about your background in terms of musical training and stuff? Have you been singing your whole life? What What's the story? I'm the least. I don't even really think of myself as a musician, to be quite honest. I'm the least um, educated musician in the band. Heather is very much. She's a classical pianist. She trained at a conservatorium, um, and she's a fairly close to a genius um but i more just kind of sang in the shower as a kid um and my dad tried to like force instruments on me my whole life but i just hated them i just didn't want to be held down um i found them scary and intimidating and far too tangible for my brain i just wanted to kind of sing and frolic so i'm not very good at like discipline and um that kind of thing. However, in the last few years, I lost my voice a lot during mm-hmm. and I had to go and get some lessons that would like strength, like exercises to strengthen the actual vocal folds and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I haven't actually had any lessons in how to sing as such. Okay. It's just kind of how to make my voice stronger, which yeah. has been really useful. Yeah. And I would recommend to anyone who loses their voice. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if I was to do a show on a daily basis, I would probably have to do something like that because I've had times where the slightest cold has destroyed my voice for a long time when I talk too much. Exactly. So I, I, I experienced, um, in, in, you know, I think I actually lost the uh, the train of thought there for the question. So let me go on to the next one here. In terms of the meaning of music for you in your life, it's always been important to you. Have you always listened to pop music in particular? 
Um, oh, it's pretty ambiguous. Uh, I, I have a love and hate relationship with music, to be quite honest. Um, yeah, it's, which makes it really important. It's not like I have any mediocre emotions towards it. Right. It's, um, I don't know, it's just always been the thing I had to do. So I find it both liberating and pressing at the same time, if that makes sense. Um, it's a bit of, yeah, you know, it's like any ideal, like, that you have, it's kind of, you're constantly striving for it, but it's never attainable, and so it's frustrating. But I guess that's that's the human condition, isn't it? We're just striving to be ideals, to, to find ideals and to live by them. So, I don't know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't live without it. Well, I mean, with, I can't live oh, with or without it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you, I think you would, you would describe, you would describe music as a succubus and a certain, uh, I think it was the, 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 the Facebook, the quotation from you on Facebook. Oh, no. I hate it when people have read things no, I've said. Uh, um, no, uh, yeah, I think I did. And I, uh, that's partly to do with, I feel like it's with you at night. More. Like I wake up with a lot of melodies in my head and I, I wake up and I go, oh, I need to write them down. And it's probably because to do with the, something that you experience in dreaming where like, I don't know there's freedom there or something and you wake up with all these songs in your mind but um yeah it is a bit like a succubus in that it kind of just takes all your energy at the same time um but you 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 don't have any um you don't have any choice you just you, you get your worth out of it as well i think right so you get a lot of i don't mean to say that it's a bad thing but right. it is it's a demanding thing if if you love it I think Absolutely. you and want I, to make it yeah. just like art, really. A, a, a consuming thing, even though it's very yeah. You'll you'll torture yourself over it, right? Oh yeah. You know, just to but get it, also sets you free. To get it, to get a little philosophical on what you said about shooting for an ideal and not reaching it. One way to think about an ideal is to think about it in the human context and and to say, I'm doing everything that I as a human being are capable of doing at striving towards this ideal. And that's really the ideal, right? That's all that we're capable of doing. So as long as you know you're doing that, you don't have to beat up yourself over it, if that makes sense. Well, I, I think you're right. And I think that hopefully the world will move towards that kind of notion of what humanity is. But at the same time, I think that we have this idea of ourselves as something above what we really are we we like we separate ourselves from animals and every other form of life and put some kind of ephemeral notion in our minds of what we can be and it's more like godlike and it's not true necessarily you're right that it's the journey and the the effort that is the ideal right but um it's so hard to separate that that end from sight that, that end that you're always trying to work towards, like a symbolic heaven or something that you're always trying to get to. And that's the problem with humans maybe is that we don't look at where we are and that we're doing our best. We kind of always look forward to something. Wait, that's not the problem with humans. I don't mean I know the problem with humans or anything, but it's definitely one of them. Right, right. Or one that you, <laughs> one, one that you struggle with a little bit. Here's another philosophical...
Actually, uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop this right here, and we're going to back it up a little bit and start it again in the next segment because I know that we're running here a little bit on time, and that's probably going to uh, to dive in there. So, so that is so far what we've got of the Haley Mary interview. I've played about 18 minutes or so of it. We've got about 24 and a half, 25 minutes left to go that we'll do in the next segment. What do we got here in the reactions over here at Blog Talk Radio? People are enjoying the discussion about her creative process her attitude about work, um, you know, the idea that writing is work. Joel says, I had a writing teacher once tell me that there are 100,000 bad words you have to write before you start writing anything worthwhile. Yeah, sim- similar to, to what the one artist told uh, other artists, a thousand bad drawings out of your system. Right. Before you start doing any decent ones. Right. And then, you know, before great ones, who knows? Who knows what that takes? But. And then Elliot says, yes, writing is work. And he says, people don't always think about artistic pursuits as being work, but it can be very difficult. And I do. I think it's it's yeah. sometimes more difficult for that very reason that there's not discrete widgets that you're turning out at the end of the day that you have right. to show for things. And it's easy if you're trying to create a long-term project, you know, you're in the middle of it, to procrastinate by doing something that's got a very short time frame to completion and say, okay, I have this widget. I did all the laundry or I cleaned the entire kitchen or did whatever I did. Uh, So let's see here. Canadian Steel says, who went Victor Hugo? Oh, I wonder if... No, he says she went Victor Hugo. I think um, Haley Mary. I think that's what he was talking about. In the the sense of what? Striving for an ideal beyond ourselves? maybe what he was talking about, nature. Right. It's true. It's true. So, Bosch, you be the DJ. Which song should we play for our break that's we coming can have up it. here? We can have it. You want to play We Can Have yeah. It? Okay, so you're going to have to plug this into your phone. Do you have it? That's rare. Yeah, just go right ahead and do it and just play it for us. Let's see if you can do it. He's got 27 seconds. Let's see if he can get it going. <laughs> I put him on the spot. <laughs> you going to get it? Here we go, yeah, let's go. Okay, we'll see you right after our little commercial break. This is the Deers, for those of you who don't know. Thank you. 
Okay, we're going to go ahead and pause that here for a second. And we actually do have during this little commercial break that's exclusive to Blog Talk Radio, just a commercial, actually. <laughs> if you didn't know, a sponsor of this show is Audible, the audiobook seller, and you can get a free trial with Audible if you're not already a subscriber. And at the same time, you can help out this show. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Amy Peekoff. That's A-M-Y. P is in Peter, E-I-K, and like the word off, O-F-F, as Leonard says it, Amy Peekoff. So, yeah, go check it out if you're not already a subscriber. Many listeners to this show are already subscribers, but I just wanted to put that in there. Uh, you're still listening to Atlas right now, boss? I am, but I'm going back to the CRISPR Hurt version. I uh, really don't like Scott Brick's uh, take on Dagny. Mm. She's like, hey, uh, Jim, James, uh, it's really, it's bad. I mean, it, it is bad. I couldn't listen to it. And his is the only unabridged, is that correct? No, they're, they're both. They're both unabridged, oh, yeah, okay. Both. okay. And uh, Christopher Hurt, uh, Scuppert has a better, like a stentorian voice, he has a better voice, uh, but Christopher Hurt's a far better narrator and reader of the book. You know, because mm-hmm. she has Dagny almost breathing, like whispering to James Tiger. If you don't put the, the sound loud, you can't really hear it. It's pretty bad. Right. Yeah. And as we'll see, it misrepresents Dagny. Here we go. Can you all play a little music as we go into our next segment? Great. That was The Deers, and what's the song? We Can Have It. We Can Have It. So, okay. you know, the intro to The Deers, I think the two best uh, songs to intro as a gateway to The Deers is uh, Lost in the Plot and We Can Have It. Those are two songs. I think they're a great band. They're from Canada. Okay, you're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard. Amy Peekoff here, Bosch Faustin, and we're going to get right back in and continue to play the interview that we did after I plug my computer back in. Mm-hmm with Haley Mary from the Jezebels, so continue to listen here. One that you struggle with a little bit. Here's another philosophical yeah. issue. And again, maybe you're upset because I've read this, but you, in an interview you described... I'm not upset. I'm, I'm over everything now. <laughs> in an interview you described yourself as a feminist, and I was going to ask what being a feminist actually means to you. Well... I've been told, and this is how I learn, um, that being a feminist just means literally that you believe in equal rights for females. But I think it's a whole lot more than that. I think it's kind of just like a way of looking at things that's different. If you consider that patriarchy has been the dominant kind of mode of looking at things and behavior for a long time, it's just kind of like, a different construct that you look at things from a different perspective and it's like looking in the shadows or looking at the other I think feminism is a little bit like Marxism in that it, it opens things up for analysis from a not from a certain angle and that's always a good thing I'm not necessarily against um, some of the things that patriarchal society has like I, I love the world and I love men and um, but there are there's definitely a balance 
I also think maybe being a feminist for me means being an environmentalist. I don't know why, but I feel like we need to look after the underdog. And right, right now, the earth is the underdog. And it's just like anything. I, I just believe in looking after each other. And if women happen to have been the people who have been oppressed historically, then I'm a feminist. I also believe in, you know, rights for all races and ethnicities and, you know, right. people of every age. I, I'm just a humanist, really. But I guess in the context of patriarchy, that makes you a feminist. I mean, there, you know, there are certainly still some cultures today in which women are treated horribly and, and subjected to terrible things. So in terms of fighting for equal yeah. rights for women, I'm, I'm definitely with you. Myself, I'm not an environmentalist per se, but we could have a debate about that another day. I don't want to have a debate with my guest who I'm so happy to no. be, be speaking with. No, you. it's fine. I'm not, I'm not, I'm also not against human progress. So I'm not like, you know, let's all be tree hugging hippies or anything. I grew up in hippie town and I actually really don't enjoy hippies all that much, but I do think that there's a balance we need to achieve and uh, we're not balanced at this point. In, and, um, and that seeing that it is one, that our dreams are kind of combined with the Earth surviving, it's kind of necessary. I mean, we. But yeah, may, sorry, we, we're not having that debate. Yeah, no, and, and, we, <laughs> and we may we may end up uh, developing technology that'll get us onto other planets someday. I mean, who knows how all of this is going to go? I'm sure it does. I I, I kind of side with the technology, but we'll we'll talk about that another time. L- let me ask you this: When you're writing songs, are you trying to get any sort of a message a, a, across to people, whether it be a cultural commentary, political commentary, anything like that? Um. I learned that I'm not intelligent enough to fathom the truth (laughs) a long time ago. So I would never really want to preach to people one idea because I can always see the other angle. But I think maybe it's good to ask questions Mm -hmm. and to challenge ideas. And that's it, really. So I kind of like... I mean, I love pop music. I think it's really important that people can sing along to a melody and that's that's a beautiful thing. But I also prefer the pop music that has, if you want, layers to it. And so I definitely like ask myself questions in songs. Um, I ask myself questions about feminism and whether, you know, whether it's a good force in my life or not, because sometimes it makes me angry. Um, but sometimes it makes me feel strong. Uh, questions like that are in the songs for sure, but I would never be like the head of the feminist brigade trying to preach that, trying to preach anything really. Um, I just, I just think we should always question our lives and our beliefs. Maybe that okay. is in the songs. It, if you could look at one song on the brink and say, okay, there was some message that I wanted to get across or some question that I wanted to get people thinking about, which one would you single out? And you can do it for whatever reason that it's just on your mind right now. <laughs> yeah. It changes all the time, that one. But I would say maybe at the moment it's Angels of Fire. Okay. That was one of the ones I wanted is... to ask you about if you asked me. What, what, oh, did cool. you, what were you trying to get across there? Well, I think that maybe maybe I try and tie my personal experience into what's going on in the world too much, but I, I feel like there is a, a spreading cynicism. Uh, maybe it's just me, 
and my friends, but maybe it's it's everyone, like the global hipster who finds it difficult to believe in anything. Um, and young people today who are like, I've got a teenage brother and sister and they're almost paralyzed by the choice that they have. And I think that leads to cynicism. And it's really hard as an artist to break through that barrier of cynicism that people have. And I felt myself getting like that. And I felt myself getting old and bitter, you know, before my time. Way before your time. Way before your time. Yeah. And I was like, no, like I need some kind of celestial being to come down and give me hope again that like journey that you were talking about to keep going on towards ideals, even if I'm not going to reach them because that's the point. You just have to keep going. And I think that song was that. It was just like I want someone to come down and touch me and remind me how I felt when I was young about music and how I felt when I was young about the world. And I was just eyes open, really excited because I do, like they say, there's a, there's a heart, uh, midlife crisis now it's turned into the quarter life crisis and I feel like teenagers are having it more and more and it's like all this information we have leads to a confusion and a cynicism and and not knowing what to believe in and that's kind of what that song was about trying to transcend that sort of paralysis of contemporary living I suppose also one thing that comes to mind is the misinformation the absolute lies come in our way as well they don't know what what the truth is and one thing also, it's just, it's a beautiful song. I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful song. Thank you. And I love listening to it. I probably listen to that more than the other songs just because, you know, I, I listened, the whole album is excellent, and there are a few that really stand out, and that's one of the standouts, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, thank you. And I, I think what's cool about that song is it actually came sort of by accident because Sam and Heather, who play guitar and piano respectively, they swapped the instruments. Oh, wow. And it's so different to anything we've ever written because of that, I think. And that was like almost, that was like a token of like someone coming down and going, here's something new. And it just provided um, an inspiration when we were a bit stuck. We were in one of those nothing moments for days. We were thinking about not going into the studio and then um, they swapped instruments and, and that song came. So yeah, I kind of, it's kind of symbolic of that feeling of new inspiration as well in how it was written. That Excellent. that sounds so organic and so perfect. It's, yeah. it's amazing. You it was know, accidental. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one of, one of the things that which struck is the, the best songs really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the things that struck me is you spoke about the fact that you are four individuals who are pursuing your opportunities to make music, which is what you want to do, and that that happened to be making music together. That's kind of the way that you came together as a band. Um, I think I've also read somewhere that you guys stated that you had to learn how to grow together as a band. So you're still going through that process of kind of growing together and see how you work together. How do you see that process going now? Um, Really well. I mean, it goes in ebbs and flows. It's like any relationship or any lasting marriage. You know, you go through hard times and, and sort of high times. And I think we have... I feel like the brink was a really good place for us. Like we, we just got better at serving the song and playing together. Um, but there are some songs that are definitely, you know, harder for, for one of us than the others or one of us prefers it more. Oh, there's always that kind of stuff. And, right. um, but yeah, we're just kind of, it's kind of like a, once you just accept that you're with these people, 
like sort of like siblings or something, then it's easier uh, to deal with their differences and your differences and each other's moods. And But yeah, we're in a good place at the moment, which is really amazing. Excellent. That's great because we want more, more albums. <laughs> we want more and more. Now, if you don't mind, I have two other quick questions on my list here. Is that okay? Are you doing okay for time? Yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. Okay. So one is, do you like to read at all? Do you read any books? Yeah, I like to read. I don't read enough books because I'm a person living in 2014. But, um, yeah, I do like to read. I used to love gothic literature, like the Radcliffe's and the Bronte, sorry, Anne Radcliffe and the Brontes and that kind of thing. But um, And I liked a bit of Jane Austen and old English sort of stuff. Yeah. But... um. And then I kind of got into sci-fi. Then uh, I, I like Murakami. Uh, I don't know, tend to like unrealistic sort of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, why do you ask? Just, just in general, I was just curious if you, if you read, what do you like? And then the other thing, I don't know what they told you about this show when you were going to come on here, but I told you I do a lot of political commentary, a little cultural commentary. And I do it from the standpoint of the author Ayn Rand. I don't know if you've heard of her. She wrote. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's so interesting because I did actually read Ayn Rand. I read um, Atlas Shrugged and I wasn't going to say that because it is actually, it's a controversial topic. Oh yeah. Ayn Rand, obviously. You probably know that. Oh yeah. No, I mean, (laughs) you know, Haley, Haley, I did read Atlas Shrugged a few years back. I was going to say, I left that question for the end because I figured you'd say, oh, she's terrible and you'd want to hang up or something. Um, cause she no, had, not at all. Not at all. Pe- people love her or hate her. So, so um, what, did, what did you get from Atlas? I was amazed by that book, actually. I mean, it's perplexing. Anything that's... Yeah, okay. So it's funny because I said I was an environmentalist and right. I also really enjoyed that book and those two things kind of go against each other, I feel. Um mm. I don't know. I would say Anne Rand, from my perspective, is one of the most misunderstood, her and Karl Marx, probably two of the most misunderstood and misrepresented uh, authors in history. Um, I don't know. I would say that probably her notion of capitalism was an ideal, and I don't think we've attained it. I don't think she'd be happy with the things that are being done in the name of the philosophy that she espoused. But... um, well, cert- yeah, certainly I, she I wouldn't be really happy as, as, as a feminist. Yeah, I was gonna say certainly I wouldn't think that she'd be happy with a lot of things that are done in the name of capitalism today. Yeah. That that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and also a lot of people use her philosophy as a justification for like neoliberalism at the moment. But I I also don't think I feel like the, the essence of her was that, and whether you agree with capitalism or not, was that capitalism was a way of doing the right thing by yourself and each other. It was it was a good, effective system that would mean that good would occur. Um, and I don't know. I feel like maybe we haven't achieved that totally. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's like communism. It's an ideal. You know, we don't we don't have either of those things happening in full swing anywhere really. But um, as a feminist, I thought it was really interesting. I loved. Is it Dagny? Yes, Dagny. That's right. Yeah, Dagny. Dagny. I, lo- I loved her character and I felt it was really important to have a woman as a protagonist in that because of the notion that women are often more irrational and 
emotional and unable to... I mean, I'm not saying everyone thinks this, but there is a kind of a tradition of associating women with that. Um, even in the books I've read, like all the, the gothic kind of um, sort of tradition actually is a lot about women's hysteria and irrationality and that kind of thing. And it was, it was refreshing to read a woman character being so badass. And straight up. Well, definitely. And Uh, and the idea that she she can experience intense emotion and intense love, and yet that doesn't make her irrational. Yeah. Yeah. I found it a really romantic book at the same time when you you say it like that. And I I like that about it. But I struggle with it because, like, I grew up in a really leftist sort of household and um, very boundary-pushing liberal type people. And um, I do think that I think that maybe Anne Rand, I mean, coming from Russia and writing in the 50s, didn't take into consideration, again, I'm just going to say the, the environment and that the resources perhaps are finite. Um, and I'm sure that she would think that the human mind can overcome that. And I think it can. I think maybe we can keep going and producing and living and thriving but we might need to acknowledge that some resources are finite and engineer other ways of, you know, take it to another level and, and create other sort of machines that can keep us going, but in a less destructive way. Oh, sure. Um, sure. I yeah. Mean, you know, the, the only question... But I do think that it was a genius book. <laughs> well, that that is really interesting for me to hear again, because I come from her perspective when I'm analyzing everything in the world, and my, all my academic work is from that perspective but i mm. had i had no hope that you had ever read any of it i just wanted to ask because to hear. it's just we we it's something we must ask on this show <laughs> but um, no yeah totally and, and i mean i feel uncomfortable bringing it up because i know the rest of the band are definitely you know they, they we consider ourselves somewhat subversive even though most people don't notice and um we do we do have a lot of leftist thinking in our band. I'm probably um, more open to something like Anne Rand just because it's really great writing, full stop, as well, whether you want to take the politics on or not. Right. Um, right. It was one of the most challenging books to me coming from like a I, – I grew up in Byron Bay, which is like a hippie town, and, yeah, it's really hard to read that and go, this is actually great and makes heaps of sense. But I think that's the beauty of art as well. You can, you can create something something that makes sense and then in reality it doesn't always translate and I think that might be the issue with it perhaps you know you know Haley that is so interesting because I met Simon Le Bon years ago okay and most people when they think about Ayn Rand there's there's a number of people who say I really like the ideas but I don't like the writing and I met Simon Le Bon. Oh, I'm the other way around. Yeah. Well, ex- no, exactly. And and so so is Simon Le Bon. So is Simon Le Bon, mm. lead singer of Duran Duran. I don't know if you are that familiar with them, but yeah, um, he had. I been, love that band. <laughs> okay, excellent. I mean, it's not listed on your influences there, but it was uh, something I loved when I was a teenager and everything. Um, and and I still enjoy yeah. listening to them now. But 
you know, he had been. Can I tell you though? I don't really, I don't really get involved in the Facebook or the any of the social media. So okay. my my influence and that hasn't changed in years. I think our influences are much more varied than we have put across. Okay. We probably need to renovate our Facebook. <laughs> well, de- then definitely. Then maybe we could follow up on that in a in a second. The thing I was going to tell you is, I asked him because he had been reputed to have been influenced by Ayn Rand. Somebody wrote this in their book. And so when I met him, I said, were you influenced by Ayn Rand? And he said, well, no. If you really had to ask, the, thing I, the person I would be influenced more by was Jim Morrison of The Doors, more than Ayn Rand. And then he, yeah. said, he said about Ayn Rand that he loved the writing but hated the ideas, <laughs> which I had never heard before. And you're the first person since that said that you really love the writing and maybe didn't agree with all the ideas. So I thought that's interesting, too. Yeah. I think that... For me, the hardest part about the ideas is knowing, I think when you, I love the ideas that came out of her mind, but I think in the end she died sad and lonely and she came from communist Russia and she saw America, we were all looking at America as the new world and the dream and I mean, you know, the Holocaust has just happened and she was, she was an extreme person and she'd come from an extreme place and wonderful ideas and writing can come out of that, but in the end, I think life is just more complicated than she would ever be able to, 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 than anyone would ever be able to kind of comprehend in a book. So, yeah. But I, it's really weird that you guys actually come from that standpoint. I didn't you know, know that. I was going to say, I don't necessarily think it's that strange for us who really love your music to be talking to you and that you were actually influenced by something that also influenced us. So I don't think it's that strange, but Well, it happens I, to be, though. I mean, it happens to be that all yeah, the artists, true. I mean, almost all the artists I love, I, I adore, almost everyone has either come across Rand, has liked her work to some extent, and this to me is just a real treat. I mean, it's just, it's, we love your music and that you read the book. I just, I, Thank lo- you. I love that. I just, I think it's fantastic. And also the, uh, the things you have to say about it. It's just, it's not dismissive. You, you appreciate the writing, which is fantastic. Back to the topic of music. Yeah, and I mean, go, yeah, go ahead. sorry, what were you going to no, say? No, no, go ahead. Um, go ahead and respond to him first. Oh, no, no, I didn't really have much more to say. I was probably just going to reiterate things I'd already said. Okay. It's not like I'm totally. I, I'm one of those people that I can't be against an idea because, like I said, I don't feel I'm intelligent enough to really know. Um, I, I say I'm, I'm not that into the ideas. I, I can see their validity, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't go with them. I can't believe in it wholeheartedly because I don't know. I've read Karl Marx as well. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, if you ever, yeah, I mean, all, one thing, after, after we're done with this interview, I'm going to leave you with an email. And if you ever want to talk about specific things about the ideas, things that you think are wrong and you'd want to see, you know, whether I have any answer to any challenges you have, I'd be more than happy to talk about that with you. I would because, love to do that because I'd love to. I, there's no one in my world that really talks about it. I've got one friend who, who does like Anne Rand, but um, he's still a leftist, really. But um, you know what? No one of, one of uh, because the rest of us just hate it. <laughs> one one of my best friends was a leftist until he read Ayn Rand, and then he did a complete U-turn. So it's completely possible if people you know read the novels and they read them in the right frame of mind. But let's go back to music to to wrap up here. And you were talking about your influences are evolving. What would you say are the current influences for you, and maybe also for the band? I think that um. I've I've always loved the 80s 
but um, I knew mainly popular, really. I mean, it's all, it's all popular, but I knew mainly really pop mainstream 80s stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've started getting into like the more subversive popular, like Depeche Mode and I think Duran Duran and, and, and um, you know, In Excess from right. Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all very popular still, but it's like there's some grit to it. I, start, I used to like, you know, Belinda Carlisle and um, Whitney Houston and right. um, right. Lauper. But I've started getting into like the, the darker of the 80s, Simple Minds and that kind of thing. And it's, um, yeah, I think that the rest of the band started appreciating the 80s a lot more because uh, our drummer like almost solely listened to 90s kind of alternative grunge. Um, but I also have opened my mind a lot more to 90s alternative grunge as well. So it's kind of, I think what happened is we've influenced each other. We came from really different perspectives oh, and now, and we didn't really like the music that each other liked. And one of the only reasons we sent Radiohead as an influence is because that's one of the only bands we all liked. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're great. But, you know, it's not probably not one of the biggest influences on us. It's just the only one that we could democratically say, hey, yeah, they're good. <laughs> them, them, Arcade Fire, and yeah. The National yeah, are the probably National. the three that we all thought were good. <laughs> but um, now I think we've come to understand, you know, you just uh, writing as a musician, as your job, makes you appreciate other writers that you wouldn't necessarily appreciate it if you just wanted to it enjoy right. and I think yeah like I, I have a newfound appreciation I've always liked hip-hop but I would never have put that in our influences but I think that I, I could say it is actually an influence like Dr. Dre the chronic is an influence Eminem's an influence um so yeah I, I don't know everything's an influence you don't even have to know it's an influence to be an influence right. if you live in the world right. you can't even tell what you're influenced by no, say. yeah. I mean, sometimes things are going to be put in your subconscious and you don't know exactly no, in what form it's going to come out. And also, you, you know, your band, you have your very unique sound. This is the Jezebels. You know, your, your albums, that's what they say to me. This is your unique sound from all those influences, whatever, but it comes out to the point where this is your sound. And I, I love that. You have a very, very unique sound. Thank you. Funnily enough, I, I just did an interview where I was telling them we don't really strive for originality. Hmm. I don't think you need to strive no. to no. be unique. No. Like, I don't, just uh, be yourself. People like the same ideas. You just tell the same story in a different way. Yeah. Be yourself. <laughs> and it and might sound unique to some people and it might sound totally derivative to others. But right. I don't know. No, we, it's, a good, it's a good job. I like it. I can imagine. <laughs> We we definitely enjoy it, and we are looking forward to seeing the show tomorrow night. Yeah. So we thank you very much for joining us and, and staying yeah, on so long for the interview. Please come and say hello, and we'll have to talk more about Anne Rand and the complex nature of her, her mind. Love <laughs> would, would love nothing more, definitely. That is so great. It's, it's nice to cool. speak to a, a musician whom I admire and that we actually share something intellectually in common as well. That is such a bonus. So it's, it's been such a pleasure, Haley. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cool, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I was not expecting this in depth. <laughs> like a meaningful interview I've got to say we, I didn't know anything about the show but it was, we, I'm impressed we crammed the best that we could as I said you know the older people with a hectic life it doesn't always make for knowing the band
Hey, everyone. Sorry for that abrupt switch, but iTunes just kind of grabbed it from me. I didn't touch a thing, and iTunes stopped the interview a few seconds early and then went into some music, which happened to be set there on the Jezebels, of course, because we've been playing it earlier. But, uh, Bosh, I mean, was that an amazing interview? <laughs> it was. I mean, it was just an absolute roller coaster. I mean, we you know we appreciate the band, but when we start when we start talking about the environmentalism, and Marxism, I'm like, uh oh, and then. Well, and I expected to have pretty sure. much almost nothing intellectually no. in common with her, no. and I just was going to throw in the question about whether you she read to. Ayn Rand just to see, you have to. and the idea that she read Atlas Shrugged. That she called Dagny Tiger a badass. <laughs> that she called it a genius book. I mean, that's just, uh, that's really, really, especially considering where she's coming from, the left. She's surrounded by leftists. And I think the reason why she can't embrace it in any serious way is she, there's no reinforcement in her life. Right. Nobody around her is in a, she, she, you know, she doesn't even know how to argue with the ideas to defend it, to defend them. So, but the fact that she can see that, appreciate its value and know that it's good. And that's awesome. You know, it's just fitting that it's for a band that we really enjoy. Yeah, it didn't mean to completely equate her with Simon Le Bon. Simon Le Bon, entrenched leftist, as far as I can tell, who dismisses the ideas completely. I have no idea where Barbara Brannon, and it was Barbara Brannon's book, by the way, in which somewhere in her introduction where she said Simon Le Bon of Duran Duran was influenced by Ayn Rand. And I I swear on whatever you could swear on if you're an objectivist, but I met Simon Le Bon in person. Asked him the question and got exactly that response. That first weird thing of, well, Jim Morrison was really more of an influence. And then talking about Ayn Rand and saying that he likes the writing, but not the ideas, which again is quite unusual. And then to see, you know, another lead singer of a band say the same thing, that she was really taken by the writing, didn't necessarily agree with all the ideas, but obviously the ideas have gotten her thinking, and there's a lot there that she does Clearly, agree with. Clearly, the Atlas is yeah. swirling in her mind. Clearly, it's become, you know, so, to, uh, that's great. against her own probably, you know, it's, it's part of her, to some extent. Anyway, I don't know if I'm going to get to have those follow-up conversations. I've given her email address and just said, hey, I'm, I'm open to talking. So if she, if she wants to, I would love to follow up. Obviously, there's a lot of things I could follow and challenge. But my purpose there, again, with this interview was talk to her, find out about her music, yeah. about their creative process, all the normal things that you want. Not debate her. So, <laughs> not debate, not debate about her. Feminism or but I did want to at least ask her if she'd read Ayn Rand. So this was, again, a conversation Freedom that definitely exceeded. Freebreeze asked and how the concert was. The concert was great. Yeah. They're a great live band, and they sound really good. I mean, some live bands, just they can't even play their own music. Some singers can't even cast their own notes that they record in the studio. She was went above and beyond. And also the guitarists and the other um, uh, artists, the musicians, they go a little off the, off the grid, which is, to me, that's the best bands, when they can go live and change it up a little, enhance it, really, uh, for, you know, for a live performance. They, they did a great job. I really, really enjoyed it. It was, it was good. And I haven't gone to concerts for quite a while, actually. I don't, I don't like Me the too. hecticness. But the cool thing is to see a band that has high-quality music that you really like listening to that you can see in a small, intimate venue. So, again, go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com and check out all the links for today's show. And one of the links is where you can find the Jezebels on tour and see if they're going to be playing somewhere near you. Tickets are not expensive. The venues are small and intimate, so you get this really great experience for the concert, and they sounded really nice. So yeah, they sounded great. Yeah. 
and she's, she, and she's and a good she, performer. Yeah, too. exactly. Good, good showman. Yeah, she really there. is. She takes charge, and you know, she's uh, she makes it the most that she can within that limited uh, even uh, the stage space. Made the most of it. Right, right, and you know, they they do that what they can too with set design and everything. They're in dealing with limited stage space in these smaller yeah. venues, but it was really nice. So I I liked it. Highly recommend it. And let us know if you go and, and uh, tell us if you enjoyed it and things like that. So what we're going to do here in the second hour as we're going to get started pretty quick here is talk a little bit about any questions or comments you have about the interview. If you want to call in and discuss, the number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And go ahead and let us know. Uh, Haley, if you're listening, call us in and now, now, if you call in, Haley, if we talk to you again, then we'll, we can start debating ideas. Because, again, if you're my guest and the whole purpose is to talk to you about music, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to debate you about ideas. But next time, next time we can have that discussion. Uh, we're about to start pretty soon with the second hour. We're not going to – Bosch is signaling me to, to switch over. <laughs> but we're going to we're gonna play some intro music here that we've been doing for today, which is – Right. The uh, the live May spray as we go into this. We're also going to talk about uh, news this hour. Go to don'tletitgo.com and see the program notes for today. <laughs> You're rebelling. You want to play what's in your iTunes regardless of my plan. Um, anyway, we're going to start in a few seconds here. Oh, I thought I was going to start. Here we go. You're listening to the second hour of Don't Let It Go Unheard is the June 6, 2014 edition. I'm Amy Peacock. I've got cartoonist Bosch Faustin here in the studio with me. And you may have recognized that music as our typical intro music and yet just a little bit different. And that is the live version of Mace Spray by the Jezebels. Again, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. I've got links of all sorts of Jezebel stuff that you can purchase and indulge yourself with on this Friday. That would be fun to do. So people did seem to like the interview. I'm really glad that you did enjoy it. Earl here in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio said, I was a gracious and generous host. That's good. I, I was expecting some yeah, people to say, so why didn't you challenge her more? But, and Smash her. She said, uh, you know, I am Randy, miserable. Marx is, uh, you know, misunderstood. You know. But that's not our job. You know what? We, we could definitely discuss whether after the fact. And if it was a longer interview, she was willing to. If she actually brought it up, why not? But we wanted to stay on point. And the fact that she read Atlas Shrugged and really had an effect on her, wow. Yeah, I mean, a good follow-up question would be, 
how is it that she thinks Marx is misunderstood? Exactly. Yeah. How does she interpret Marx? Yeah. And then we can have that discussion. Yes. But I only, I only pushed her in a couple of places, and that was about what is an ideal, really? Well, and she understands she, that whole idea of that, the, that the journey itself is the ideal, the constant process of doing the best that you can. And right. she, she was so sophisticated yeah. for, to me, someone her age. And I don't know if this is that people from Australia are a lot of times getting a better education than we are. I wonder if that happens. I know people always sort of they met in college criticize the, the band, so she's. Uh... She's university educated, or maybe she did drop out at a certain point. But I know for a while she said that they were pursuing both university and college at the same time. So I mean, university and the band at the same time. So it's it's amazing. But the the show was good. Highly recommended. Go check them out. It's thejezebels.com, or you can look at those links at my blog at don'tletitgo.com, where I've got the specific link to the tour dates and to where you can get the music on either iTunes They're playing, or Amazon. Uh, San Francisco Tonight. They're playing, I think, Boston and New York. They're sold out uh, in San Francisco soon. Tonight at their small venue yeah. there. Uh, some of the other shows, I'm not sure if they're sold out yet, but definitely okay. ch- check it out if you can. It was excellent. And as I said, tickets are cheap. The venue is intimate, but the sound quality is really we good. We were able to bump into the... Uh, the uh, keyboardist and the guitarist and the drummer also. Right. Uh, not not uh, with uh, Haley Mary in person. Yeah, we we didn't get to see but, Haley in person. But uh, he was able to give uh, an index card drawing I made of Haley Mary and her card. So we'll see if, if there's some follow up. Yeah. Be, so, as far as I know, she's got my email, and they w- it would be great to correspond with her at whatever time she sees fit. I mean, she's busy, and they're doing three shows in a row. Yeah. San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, three nights in a row. I think that's pretty huge to put on the kind of performance that she does. She's yeah. super energetic yeah. as well. Kind of reminds you of uh, Mick Jagger energy yeah. on stage. Yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing. Oh, Bono too. She kicked her leg up there. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say, so I told that story about how A Little Piece, that song of theirs from A Dark Storm, was behind this video that I watched, and that was in November of 2010. And also right around that time, right in November 2010, there was a video by a cyclist named McCaskill, I think Danny McCaskill, and a listener by the name of Joe, he pointed that out when I was posting about this on Facebook, that Danny McCaskill had this video, and I think it was on the way home, or I can't remember the name exactly, of the video, but you need to check out the video. I didn't watch this before, but this was apparently a video that got the Jezebels a lot of listening. Also, they played some of their music on Grey's Anatomy. Okay. It's something that I heard, and that that got millions of views. I don't know how many views McCaskill got. I know that the video that I saw by Sylvia Turkman got around twelve to 13,000 views, something like that. So... Anyway, it was just so much fun. It was so much fun to be able to interview someone, again, whom you admire musically and find out at the same time that there's some common ground, any common ground intellectually with a musician whom you admire. That's great. It is. So much fun. Earl in the chat room says, yeah, the Danny McCaskill video is amazing. It is amazing. (laughs) He's an athlete. Bosch was watching it because I made him watch it, and he said, is that real or is it special effects? <laughs> no, there's one point you're like, is that Spider-Man on a bike and what the hell? It's incredible. It's like a parkour with a bike. <laughs> I mean, bouncing off walls, literally, I mean, jumping far and just... Yeah, I mean, That was exactly control. what occurred to me, too. It's yeah, parkour, but yeah. with a bike. It's inc- I mean, the control this guy has. Someone, someone put a link. Thanks, Earl. 
Earl, Earl put a link. Um, check it out, everyone. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's at a point where, yeah, it's real, but you're like, wow. <laughs> that special effects at first. And you realize, no, what, what the guy must have gone through, how, how many times he must have hurt himself to get Well, and that's the whole stage. thing, because you know, he was saying, well, of course you're seeing all the best takes, <laughs> but I'm saying, what you have to go through to yeah. get all those good takes Broken of these bones, tricks no that he's doing? It. You have to. How many scars must that guy yeah. have on his body? It's just truly, truly amazing. And he put that song there, and it, and it fit well. I'm scrolling back here in the chat room because somebody had said that they wanted to put something that Haley said on a T-shirt. Yeah, about the hippies. About the hippies? Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to be too far up in the chat room for us to find it. I think it was Elliot. I think it was Elliot. You think it was Elliot? Yeah. Yeah. So he said something like, I, I, don't, I don't really care for the hippies or something, and that you're going to stick that on a T-shirt. And for me... Just put Dagny Tagger is a badass. I mean, that's just that's a great line. <laughs> a I'm gonna put it. I'm, I'm making a blog post with my drawing of Haley Marion, and link to the show with that. Just Dagny Tagger, comma quote unquote badass. I love it. Yeah, because I mean, one of the things I kind of pushed her on a little bit was just to think about the typical reason rationality versus emotion dichotomy. Yeah. The idea of somebody who experiences intense emotions but still remains rational, like Dagny Tagger. So I pushed a little, but only in a couple spots. And yeah, I did leave a lot of questions yeah. to to answer another day. Again, if she chooses to, it would be wonderful to yeah. continue to to speak with her. I was I was really impressed. So let's go into our usual usual, unless we've got more comments here in the chat room. Yeah, Elliot says yes, it was him. No. Yeah. And he says when he uh, Earl in the chat room was talking about the McCaskill video, and he put the link to the yeah. McCaskill video in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio. He says when I need inspiration, I watch it. When he finally gets off the gets the 360 off the tree trunk, he tears up. He says, "Oh, I mean, it's incredible what the guy does. I mean, he's, he's a master. The control, the control. That's what's impressive. It's incredible. Over the uh, what do you call that? The bars, right? To pop onto them. I mean, in perfect, perfect position to." Uh, it's, it's pretty wild. I just I, the idea of how in touch he is with the feel of the knobs like of the tire, of the knobs of the tire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but, it's, it's like part of his body. Yeah. And it's I, the, anyway. Go watch it. I don't even want master. to try to inadequately I mean, describe it right bicycle, now. Bicycle, whatever they call it. I don't even know what, what, what the term is for this. Stunt cyclist. I guess. Maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. They should have that for the Olympics or something. I mean, seriously, it's a true. You have to be an athlete. To be that strong to do that also. Oh, yeah. No, there, there's, there's just no doubt. So let's go ahead and get over to our list of stories that I would like to at least get through. As I said at the beginning of the last hour, it is the week of many anniversaries this week. And then if, I would say the most important that we can see for, you know, for sure now is the D-Day anniversary. No. The anniversary of the invasion at Normandy no. in which the Allies were coming to save the day and get rid of Hitler. A lot of them knew they would die, too. A lot of them knew. Right, and a lot of them did die, unfortunately. A lot of people are noting how horribly Obama just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb at a D-Day commemoration, which is what he's over there doing, because it's the 70th anniversary, so it's a big commemoration. A lot of world leaders have gathered there, and they had lunch, and, of course, the whole thing was Obama and Putin, did they talk to each other? Oh, they could have touched each other, but then they didn't talk until later, but then they talked here. But it wasn't a formal... I don't care about this stuff. Who who cares if they get in bed together and touch each other? The the following kind of stuff is the stuff I care about. The story over at the National Review 
by John Fund, who I think is over at Normandy as he's writing this because yeah he says he's, he's in he says he's in France he says we actually had an exchange with him a, a couple of years ago it's pretty good yeah. yeah some of the veterans he says who are, are attending the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings have fascinating stories and he talks about one George Chimpana Chimpana I guess is how you would pronounce it because the C would be Ch in Italian I don't know. that's what I'm thinking probably probably yeah uh, he's a vibrant and spry 89 year old. He landed in Normandy as a soldier assigned to the 84th Graves Registration Unit. And a quote from the veterans is this. He says, I spent the next few years going from France to Germany helping to bury people, end quote. So he had helped set up temporary military cemeteries. He later became a filmmaker celebrating America's heroes, and he's still making films at 89, which is amazing. He also buried some Nazis. I mean, yeah, go on. He received a call from the White House who said that they knew he was going to be going over to France during D-Day and they wondered if he would attend a private meeting the White House was arranging for veterans with President Obama. Who would benefit in that meeting? Exactly. The thing I was thinking earlier was that if Obama asks you to meet with him, it's because he stands to gain something from the meeting and and not to gain, I mean, because obviously... It, it, we want people to gain things from meetings that they have, but gain something unjustly. Yes. Gain something while you're giving up something you shouldn't give. In this case, if you are a veteran and you're meeting with Obama, you're giving Obama a, a moral sanction that Absolutely he does not deserve. Right. And thankfully, the guy recognized that. This George Chimpana, the 89 year old, he declined. Awesome. He said he thought about it for a while and concluded he just couldn't. Quote, I have so many issues with the president's policies, including the most recent ones, he told me ruefully, that I just couldn't convince myself to do it. Good man. Yeah. And it's, and uh, Fund writes that he's not alone. The recent Bergdahl pr- uh, prisoner swap in which five hardened Taliban terrorists were released from prison is rubbing a lot of the military veterans attending D-Day events the wrong way. And he says, quote, it's not just that we don't want to respect the commander in chief, one of them said. It's just that he makes it so hard to do so. Wow, that's quote. really well put. Yeah. Because you know, the president says America is supposed to mean something. Can you imagine you are a veteran fighting in one of the most important wars, serving in one of the most important fronts in that war, and you're invited by yeah. a president, which should mean something it wonderful, should, should be a great something. honor, and you feel you have to turn you that down. And, good and you're you 89. You know you're not going to be around much longer. This is probably your only chance, maybe. This is, I mean, that just tells you about this man, what he was then, what he is now. He's a powerhouse. I hope these guys live to the next president. I hope the president is somebody worth meeting. Absolutely. Honor them. <sighs> so. I mean, you dishonor yourself if you go meet with that, with that punk in the White House. Ed in the chat room says 4,400 Allied soldiers die in the one day of D-Day, about the same that died in the entire Iraq War. I mean, it's just unreal, the loss. My grandfather wasn't on that front of the war. He was in the Pacific. That's where he was, in the, in the Navy, on ships, including Pearl Harbor and other places, so Okinawa and stuff. So... But yeah, so that, this is one anniversary. And of course, everything that Obama has been doing wrong by veterans 
really comes to the forefront this week. The idea that he dishonors those people who lost their lives searching for Bergdahl by not only bringing this guy who's likely a deserter and likely became a jihadist from what we're hearing in some recent news stories, they bring him back at the cost of freeing five high-ranking Taliban members while we're still fighting the Taliban in certain fronts out there, putting other members of the military at risk. It's truly unfathomable. And then, of course, the idea was that they did this, the Bergdahl swap and everything, and, of course, they were trying to declare victory mm. about Bergdahl. Right. They had the the Rose Garden right. press conference. and all, arm, right? arms around the guy Why were they Arabic? doing this? They were trying to do this to distract from another affront to veterans, <laughs> yes. which was the VA scandal, exactly right. where we learned that we are not treating our veterans the way they deserve to be treated. Leave it to Obama to, to do this also. I mean, leave it to him to think they can get over us by making something like a feel-good story turn into a hellish one, one that he gets even more. I mean, think about it. He did this in order to avoid that scandal. Now is a whole new scandal here. And this guy, everything about this guy, everything you hear is, this is terrible, terrible. This guy went to the enemy side, and they say he converted to Islam, became a jihadist, and we'll see the full story. Fox News was just reporting it. I don't think, believe me, they would be very hesitant to, to report that. You know, I would, I would, I would think so. And you know, one of the stories that I want to talk about today actually is what Obama is trying to do to counteract all of the negative stories that are coming out about Bergdahl now. And that's Tammy Bruce's column for this week. The one thing I wanted to say before we turn to that though is Freedom Breeze over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio says that her dad landed on D-Day, Juno Beach, as a rifleman with the Canadians and that wow. she's doing his memoirs. So if you do his memoirs and you end up releasing them and publishing them and you have links that we can share, let us know. Yeah, please do so. And we'll go ahead and share that out there. So uh, thanks for doing that and thank your dad for I mean, those are time fighting the bad guys. Just They knew evil was there and they had to destroy it or be destroyed. They knew that. And today, look at us trading the scum of the of the earth for the scum of the earth. This is what this is what it seems to be going for. One jihadist, you get five. Talk about sacrifice. I mean, he, he's taking sacrifice literally. And you know what? Yes, literally. And there were six soldiers who went out to look for for the scumbag and died. And someone said fourteen. Another military guy. Maybe he knows more than than the others do. And then you have the Obama administration calling those who are um, calling uh, the scumbag Bergdahl a deserter. Uh, maybe there's some psychopaths there, right? Right. In that and, unit. And this is this is Tammy Bruce's column at the Washington Times this week. It's called "Fragging Bergdahl's Squadmates." Yeah. And her leave it, su- leave it to Obama. Yeah. Her subhead is that Team Obama trashes the soldiers' firsthand accounts. Sorry, one second. If Obama had a son who was a soldier, he'd be uh, Bo Bergdahl. Go on. I, I've seen a couple people say that. You were you were the first. Yeah, I mean, I, that I, I saw about it last last week. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, and, and that's no, true. I, th- I think that's really true. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm trying to steal my phone. No. I, I like I like Tammy's turn of phrase here. She says, "Still reeling from the Bergdahl Taliban swap, Americans now watch gobsmacked as the White House doubles down on crazy from the Taliban Taliban swapped." Yes. Right? So first there was the swap. And now the White House is doubling down on crazy. How? By calling into question 
the testimony of Bergdahl's fellow soldiers with respect to what actually went on. And that piece of crap, uh, Rice, what's her name? Um, the one who lied about uh, Benghazi, the, the video? Susan Rice. Yeah. She's out there and she says, something, no, he served with honor. And What does she know? Nothing. Exactly. Talk to his mates, to his military, guys who were with him. And, and what Tammy points out in her column here is that if there is going to be a trial, and there sure as hell better be a trial. It has to be. The people you would go to are the squad mates. They are the eyewitnesses. I mean, who else are you going to get testimony from? Why the hell would they say this about one of their own if it wasn't true? Why? It makes them look bad. It makes the U.S. Army look It makes America look bad as far as they're concerned. They're fighting for the country. They wouldn't just make up the fact that this guy's a traitor. The, the media lapdogs of Obama, plus, of course, the White House, are trying to portray this as some sort of Republican, partisan, orchestrated yes, yes, yes. publicity effort because there is a particular um, either journalist or publicist. His name is Richard Grinnell. He's a conservative communications consultant. He offered his firm's pro bono assistance connecting the soldiers who wanted to speak about this right. with journalists. Pro bono assistance, and what everyone has come back and they said, oh, well, because he's worked for Republicans before, Grinnell has worked for Republicans before, therefore this is a Republican-orchestrated publicity oh, campaign, man. and we just have to dismiss them. Every all. time these rats get in the corner, they pull that. I mean, it, it, it's just... Just one thing also, it's also a 10th anniversary of uh, Ronald Reagan's death. That's and, true, uh, I should have put that. And, and there was a good quotation... Posted by yeah, you and also and, by Ted Cruz. And uh, he said, uh, you know, Reagan said, I mean, I, I have a whole bunch of quotes. I put it on my blog. Check it out when you can. It's called, um, you know, Miss Reagan now. You know the whole thing? Miss me now, miss me now? Yeah, I miss Reagan now. He wasn't perfect. He had some flaws. He did some things I'm not, you know, crazy about. But overall, the best president in our lifetime. And here's one little quote. He goes, we are a nation that has a government, not the other way around. Powerful, true. Excellent. Exactly, because so many of these politicians think it's all about the government, and the government controls us. And <sighs> Obama thinks that. No, Obama thinks the exact opposite. You know it. I mean, you, got, you have the anti-Reagan right now in, in the White House. Well, when we talk about the privacy issue in a minute, remind me about Glenn Greenwald, because he had yeah. something to say about what public outrage, what its effect can be anymore in, t in today's world. And that was kind of an interesting commentary, but a couple things that Tammy kind of hits home here. One is that she only wishes that the GOP had its act together enough as the liberal media thinks it does or accuses it of doing, yeah. uh, you know, to, as she says it, to, put, right. to push back on the false narratives coming from the administration. But she also says, to have this quote-unquote conspiracy. They're right, mean, no, exactly. They're not, even, yeah. they're not even equipped to do that. No, no, they, they're not even that organized, unfortunately. And then she says, uh, as she finishes up here very strongly, accusing veterans of being liars in order to save a political narrative, which everyone already knows is false, is a desperate and appalling decision, defiling the highest levels of government. Defiling. I like that word because, again, it's the nihilism with respect to the office of the president. He is not conducting himself the way a commander-in-chief should no. to immediately question the integrity of the soldiers. He's supposed to be a commander-in-chief. I mean, this guy... I just, I don't know. I, I, I want to lay some bombs right now, but I'll, I'll bite my tongue. Yeah. She says, in addition to unleashing five more terrorists upon the world in the past week, the behavior of Mr. Obama's teams and allies exposes the fact that we have an administration obsessed with its own myth, 
completely out of touch with reality and not concerned about whom it destroys to get its way, end quote. And while I was reading that last part, suddenly the thing that popped into my mind is that video that's circulating around Facebook right now of Obama doing that horribly wimpy oh workout in a Polish hotel. With a five-pound weight and he's struggling. When I was reading the words out of touch uh, with reality, I'm, I'm Obama thinking that is a workout of any kind. Right. It, it, I mean, oh, obviously, it's such man. a minor example, and it's a really frivolous example, but it is of a piece with how out of touch with reality this guy really is. And, and, th- and those are made in France, by the way, the uh, dumbbells. They were made in France. I'm joking. I mean, how, how could he have thought that this Bergdahl swap was going to no, he take to get, the VA scandal get, off the page? Because he still has contempt for us. He wants to get over us. He goes, okay, I'll feed them this, throw them some red meat, okay? I'll save a soldier. They'll be happy, and they get off my back. No, you rat. No, that's not the way it happens, especially when you, get, when you bring back a rat. Right, and well, and one of the things that I read is that the um, – Oh, oh, yeah, that the the five guys that he released are five guys that he's been looking to release since the time he got Absolutely. into office. And think about I, that it also. Was, oh, you know where Tammy said that was? It was Tammy. Yes. I, was, I was listening to Tammy, and she read that in the Time magazine he was hard, article. He was hard up to get them out. Yeah. Why? Yeah. So he was looking for an excuse to get these guys out. And he says, and I, there's one American. Okay, let's just bring him back. Who is he? Don't, don't tell me who he is. Just, he's American. Okay, good. Right. We're going to go here into a commercial break, so I'm going to play you a little more Jezebels and just keep indulging myself because, after all, it's my birthday. giving you a little more taste of the May Spray Live, so I'm hoping that you enjoy that. They played that last night as well, yes? Ed said that he started reading uh, uh, Greenwald's book, and he says it's really, really good. Read immediately. I will. I will. I've got Greenwald's book in 1984 as a reread for me, and I'm thinking I want to read Greenwald's first. I'm thinking I've got to do that. Also, Joel says about uh, Reagan, he goes, one of the nice things about living in Southern California is the Proximity to, to the Reagan Library, walking through, walking through. I'm sorry. Yeah, he says he says walking through it. It's impossible not to feel yes. the contrast between Reagan's sense of life and Obama's. It's a completely different world. Now, Bosh, I had more to drink than you did last night. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and it's funny because if I'm right here. I'm more, like, more, to, more to drink. You know, um, I, I was thinking of uh, you know kind of measurements in terms of percentage, considering that I almost hardly ever yeah. drink anything it's when yeah. we i did the whole 30 for january mm-hmm. 
and you don't drink any alcohol on Whole30. Any and I've been pretty much in the yeah. habit of not drinking any, like right. hardly even wine. We should probably introduce wine back into yeah, our lives here, right? But so then last night, I'm drinking one of the drinks that I used to like when I was young and went to a lot of concerts and stuff. And I I, it's like, oh, for all time's sake, why don't I get one of these really silly, sweet, very strong drinks? And I had to throw out half of it I, I at took least. a sip and I had one of those involuntary <laughs> left-right quick moves like, whoa. I drank more of that than first, you did, yeah. and I'm reading Joel's comment more well, smoothly than you I'm a lightweight when are. it comes to that. I can drink some wine, some Guinness, that's about it, really. I don't go outside of that too too much. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I guess I, I have probably had a little more hard alcohol than you have in, in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I well, I had green chartreuse. If anyone Ooh. had that, it is... You, you put a little on a lid on the rim of a glass, put a match up, I mean, it lights right up. It is proof. It was, it's a high proof of, of alcohol. It's, and once you get sick on it, it's over. I mean, I don't know if I can have cognac ever again. Now, who is... Um, oh, Ed is talking also that he agrees about the Reagan Library. Yeah, so I went there good. myself uh, to, to uh, get my book signed by Mark Levin, and they had this really powerful statue of Reagan, and I said, he'd make a better president than Obama. And I meant the, the statue. The statue. <laughs> I meant the statue. It would be dignified. Which is something that Obama exactly. is not. It wouldn't do anything, but it would be dignified, and so that's it. Well, we need a do-nothing president. We need that. Freedom Breeze in the chat room also ordered Greenwald's book. Yeah, I'm hoping to talk to Greenwald, and I'm going to see if I can arrange that yeah. soon. And so, yeah, I think I'm going to have to dive into that before my reread of 1984. Okay, we're going to go back into the break, so I'm going to keep playing you a little bit of this May spray. of a pessimistic lyric there, right? She keeps May spray because you can't rely on the common man. Right. Yeah. Um, Maybe she has one in her in her purse. Again, Maybe that, she's used it. That's the Jezebels. And I, I think I remember seeing some interview where they were saying it's ridiculous that you think May spray is going to do anything, but at the same time, it's a very sad commentary that you feel like you have to carry right. it. I got maced once. Oh, but that was they were joking about it, right? Well, it was, it was he accident? thought he was joking. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was a it was a, a delivery pizza man from my uncle's pizzeria years ago, and he said, "Hey, look!" And I looked. He went, Psh, and he I guess he had the cap, and I was. I mean, it knocks you out for how long? For Ten minutes at least, where you can't open okay. your eyes and you're crying. It's uh, yeah, it definitely does its job. So that would so, be that would be another thing to debate her about. You say, "Look, May, May spray does something." Yes, I've experienced it. Does. <laughs> myself okay let's get back over to our list of stories over at don'tletitgo.com you can find the program notes for today's show so d-day anniversary was the first and let me ask you this bosh because Mm -hmm. in my mind i was saying okay well what's the more important anniversary historically is it going to be d-day or the release of the Snowden stuff. Now, this sounds really weird. You'd say D-Day, right? Yeah. Right now, for sure. Yeah. But if you think about the 
kind of, you know, danger of a totalitarian, omnipresent surveillance state and the role that the Snowden revelations might play in ensuring that that doesn't either continue or come to pass fully. Right. The first thing, you don't want to even answer that because it's, it's so – the loss of life there. No, and, and the I know. the power of the good men. But, I know. But that was one big battle of a big war. That was one of the many that had to be fought. Right. And that it, it, it went on for years. This is something that could flip us over right to the edge of totalitarianism. This, right. is, this is one of the components. This is one of the uh, pieces of it. And it's been exposed. It's, it's a battle you know? on an entirely different front. Yeah. It's not per se that we've seen yet it's a, a big bloody battle. We warning. are not seeing anyone losing their life over it. No. Snowden's in Russia. He wouldn't want to be there. Uh, Greenwald, I guess he's in Brazil or something. He and his boyfriend have been harassed in various right. ways. But I don't. I've not seen any major this loss. This guy, of, no, no matter where the hell he was coming from, this this leftist Greenwald, he must have had his eyes open to some extent here. He must have been made a better person just by being in contact with Snowden and figuring this out and saying, well, cause, because if he's a leftist, he ought to be for this. This is his thinking. Right. This is what totalitarian countries do, and he's opposed to it. And he has to question himself, you know, question his own beliefs. And that's what's being happening. That's, that, that's what's happening to him. I was listening to an interview with him that Cato did. And he didn't say anything in the interview that I found horribly objectionable. But he said one thing that's rather kind of alarming, and see if you think it's true. He said that public outrage alone today is almost irrelevant or impotent. Mm. That even though you can stir up public outrage, he thinks that the main pressure points to get something done on the privacy front today are the top Silicon Valley firms. Mm. So, for example, um, Zuckerberg was very upset about the revelation that government was using Facebook to do some snooping. So he goes out on Facebook and he says, I called President Obama. So the idea is that Zuckerberg can pick up a phone. He can call. He can get on the phone with Obama fairly quickly. Who can do that? These top guys at the top Silicon Valley tech firms. Right? True. That's a good uh, observation. Absolutely so, true. But, and, and the other thing he was saying, and I think this is true, not only in the privacy issue, but in so many realms, and, and we as objectivists complain about this all the time, which is that the two political parties are virtually indistinguishable on an increasing right. number of issues, Absolutely. an alarmingly increasing number of issues. And this is one thing that Ted Cruz is pointing out in Washington, D.C. now, yep. that a lot of the Republicans, his fellow Republicans, are almost the same as the Democrats. And so his idea is that, you know, with the politicians and stuff, it's not like you can have an effect by voting in one party versus the other on a number of issues. A number of major issues. And, and he, and he's, They're in sync. And he's saying basically that the way that our government and the way that the interaction between politicians and major companies and stuff is right now, it's resisting change for no. the better almost right that is it, it's very that difficult to achieve quo, change. status quo and they're they're clinging to it for dear life because this is how they get their power is how they get their money is how they get their lifestyles and imagine the, their lifestyles mean everything to them i mean who knows what they're willing to do to keep them i don't even i don't, I don't even think about that it's almost criminal but yeah and that's and that's the truth um you were saying something before Anyway, yeah. I, I can I can tell you one Sorry, other uh, thing that I that I thought he said that, that was brings good. up the 25th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square. Uh, right, and I good. actually I do have a link about Tiananmen and Square as well. I mean, yeah. to the stories I read, 300 to 2,000 
500 people were murdered. And that number is so far between. It's like, what the? There's no account. Well, yeah, we don't have accurate reporting you know, on that. That's it's a unbelievable. Massacre, even yeah. if it was one or two. But what I'm saying is that's a major massacre. You know, the news story that you gave me, Bosch, and that I've put as a link over at don'tletitgo.com about the Tiananmen massacre is about the vigil, the vigil My that they had in Hong Kong. Um, and in that story... looking at it visually also, it's, it's, it's awesome. It is awesome. And, and it's got in the story both the good news and the bad news. The good news is that there are this many people that motivated to go and attend this vigil in Hong Kong. More than 180,000 people gathered in Hong Kong's Victoria Park. Now the question is why? It's because in China itself, they have prohibited all memorializing mm. of the Tiananmen. So they have to go in person as a So if they want to have any kind of a vigil to mark an anniversary of Tiananmen Square, which right now it's the 25th anniversary, they have to go to Hong Kong in order to do it. Mm. How sobering is that? Yeah. At the same time, though, it, it, it makes for a, a big-time display you know I mean, of, of support for that. You know, where the government created this situation where you can't do that, and now look what they did. Look at that shot, even. Oh, I know. I mean, and, it's and, pretty incredible. And there they are holding yeah, that's right. candles. and it's, it's really amazing. But at the same time, it's, it's sobering. I mean, think about it. the only way that they are able to pass down news about this event in their history is word of mouth because in China officially the government has banned all mention of it. Ed, Ed Powell says no one knows whatever happened to the tank guy. And does anyone know his name? I imagine it's out there, but maybe it's not. Maybe they, the government has made sure that no one does. Not to individualize it, just to call him a tank, you know, tank guy, tank man. Ed also says that he agrees with Greenwald that we the people don't have an ability to organize against the establishment faction of both the Republican and the Dem parties you know, that control... Americans the are trying through the Tea Party. You know, we're trying. Uh, it's making little dents here and there. We're getting certain representatives into Washington. But, well, and, uh, then, and then the danger is that the establishment politicians want to cut off oh, any avenues do. for getting change through something like the Tea Party, which no, is not establishment to, Republican or Democrat. The, the Republicans want to bury the Tea Party more than the, than the Democrats do. Democrats want to, but not to the extent that well, the and this do. is because they know that they, is, it'll, they'll be the death of them. This is why it gets very scary, and this is why I'm very happy to see Ted Cruz go, maybe not necessarily on the offensive, but definitely a, an early and vigorous defense against the Democrats in the Senate who want to, in effect, repeal the, the First, First Amendment. Amendment. And I agree with Ed. Yep. Ed, uh, a listener no. to this show, sent me the link to this that what Cruz is putting out there about our right to free speech is some of the best commentary on the importance Excellent. of free speech and preserving the First Amendment that you've seen from a politician in a long time. The link that I have on my blog at DontLetItGo.com, if you go there, get all the program notes for today's show, is to Senator Cruz's own website. And it says, Senator Cruz files bill to protect the individual right to free speech. Are you trying to look at something? Yeah, no. I just want to get the uh, arrow off the thing. Cause oh, you know, oh, I see. Okay, okay. Um, in any event, it says that what Cruz has done is he filed a pair of bills to protect the individual right to free speech in the wake of Democrats' efforts to effectively repeal the First Amendment. And what 
they want to do, the, the Democrats want to do, is allow Congress to regulate spending on political speech. And so what he's got in response are two different bills. One is the Super PAC Elimination Act of 2014, mm. and what it would do is it would eliminate the caps on direct contributions to candidates from individuals. That means they wouldn't have to resort to Super right. PACs. You see what I mean? Right. That's why it's eliminating. It's not like it's saying you cannot have a exactly. Super PAC, but it's saying that in a, there would not be Super PACs but for this cap on direct contributions. So if you eliminate that cap on direct contributions, people would just contribute to the candidates directly. Now, the other side is that it requires all donations over $200 to be disclosed within 24 hours. And I don't know how I feel about that part of it. This is an unanswered question in my mind that we could discuss at some point. Should there be compulsory disclosure mm -hmm. of donations to political candidates? If government was limited to its proper scope of power, right. I don't know that we would care who contributed to what candidate. But because if not, that's why they feel they have to Well, and maybe he's doing this with some this? sort of... Cause anyway, again, it's an unanswered question in my mind, and me in my slightly hungover, although I drank very little <laughs> alcohol state, there's no way I'm going to answer uh, that question. We haven't slept either. So. <laughs> A few hours of sleep. Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, the second thing is the Free All Speech Act, Free All Speech Act, it would require that all restrictions on political speech that apply to individuals also apply to media corporations. He says, additionally, if legislation is unconstitutional as applied to media corporations, it shall carry no force as applied to individuals. And I guess what the Democrats in Congress want to do is they want to restrict speech and yet say that the press is still free. The right. media, their media lapdogs, right? The Democrat media. The scum media. They want the media to, to stay on their side. So the, the, they said, you know, everything that we want to do to restrict speech in our legislation or our constitutional amendment, everything we want to do to restrict speech, it should not be interpreted to encroach upon freedom of the press because we want the press on freedom our side. Freedom of our press. Right. Uh, the press. Uh, one thing that I wanted to point out about Cruz, Cruz had an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal supporting this. He talks about all the things that Congress could do if this amendment happens to be passed. And he thinks it's unlikely because you have to have not only passed two-thirds in the House and the Senate, but it's got to be passed by three-quarters of the state legislatures, right? right? This is a long way from happening. Right. Nonetheless, if you've got all these establishment politicians who want to keep the status quo and they're realizing that we the people through the new media right. are able to effectively organize where we couldn't before, right. you know, maybe Greenwald is wrong, or maybe there's at least a potential of overcoming the difficulties that Greenwald points out. You know, free speech is the last bastion. Is. So th this is it. You know, if, if uh, they get this amendment across, we're toast. Yeah. So this is what he says that Congress could do if this amendment happens. He says Congress could prohibit the NRA from distributing voter guides, letting citizens know politicians' records on the Second Amendment. Congress could prohibit the Sierra Club from running political ads criticizing politicians for their environmental policies. Congress could penalize pro-life or pro-choice groups for spending money to urge their views of abortion, etc. So he goes down yeah. and saying, look, the, both the left and the right people on the left and the right, real human beings, not no. politicians, because politicians, they don't want freedom anymore. No, no, Most don't. politicians don't Absolutely want freedom not. anymore. They but want the freedom. They want freedom. We, the people, both left-wing, right-wing, libertarian, objectivist, right. whatever you, wherever we are, 
we should all fear this because what Congress would be able to do is regulate your speech. And then just the press, anybody who qualifies as a, quote, real member of the press. Another thing he pointed out was this, everyone thinks, oh, of course the bloggers are going to be okay. Blog, no, bloggers, mm-hmm. according to some segments of Congress, are not qualified journalists. Yes. And so they don't count yes. under freedom of the they press. They said that. The lowlife, uh, Dick Turbin said that. And the other thing that he pointed out was the idea that somehow money is not speech. How wrong right. it is to say that money is separate from speech. Right. He says, you know, unless you're just sitting there standing on a soapbox in a public square, anything else you do requires money. Mm-hmm. And he points out Thomas Paine's common sense. You have to have some money to be able to print and distribute a leaflet. Speech at any level that's going to be effective requires the spending of money. If you regulate the spending of money, you regulate, you know, spending of money on speech, you yes. regulate speech. I'm sure right. So... So, there, so, so there's Ted Cruz and who else? You know, you know, I've said it before, but he's no Reagan, he's no Reagan, he's no Reagan. Who else do they say that about? Yeah. Nobody. Right. Because right. he's the closest. Because he's the closest thing that they have. Exactly. Today. Exactly. It's kind of like people saying LeBron's no Michael Jordan. Right. Because right now he's the yeah. closest thing that he's yes. playing. We'll see if if Kobe can come back. And By the way, Jordan would have played through like Rams. Okay? I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> No, he wouldn't have noticed them because uh, someone, the doc tells me you, you had leg cramps. Really? I, I, I didn't notice. Right. So on the privacy front, the story that I did put over because on, on the theme of an anniversary is that this week is the anniversary of Edward Snowden's first revelations being published in The Guardian. That was June 5th, a year ago. And a year later... Reformers are frustrated as the NSA preserves its power. And we've talked about all the different developments on this show. Can I just say one thing, sorry? Mm-hmm. Ed writes, Reagan was no Reagan. <laughs> I want the mythological Reagan, not the real one. I like it. It's <laughs> Sorry. There's that as well. There is that as well. Um, yeah, so in terms of some of the statutes, the legislation that they're trying to get through Congress, that's supposedly going to reform the NSA. None of it's going to do a complete no. job. And we've talked about this many times, but I put the link up again at don'tletitgo.com under the program notes for today's show. Just to remind everyone, I think we're not going to get any real progress on this issue from the legislative side unless and until we address that third-party doctrine. Supreme Court might take up one of those third-party doctrine cases and decide to actually eliminate it, but I doubt it because, again, the whole infrastructure of privacy legal protection, legal protection for privacy, right now sort of leads you into having a third-party doctrine or its equivalent. So it's going to be hard to do. But I think that's the real culprit right there, that third-party doctrine. So we will keep hammering away you know, at that I mean, issue. You know, this idea. And people do say you know, it, it'd be hard. Yeah, it, what the establishment of this country was hard to do, you know, beyond all. I mean, the odds were against us, and we have to fight again. Yep, yep. And a lot of us are fighting on a, on a lot of different fronts. And I'm going to continue to fight on the legal doctrine side of it. Another thing I wanted to talk about today is the news coming in about Seattle and its $15 minimum wage. With the communists in charge, right? It was the communists who, who was voted in? 
Probably, I, I guess probably helped it get passed, right? Because so our seven rights, uh, as, as he she wrote on on Twitter, privacy more like P R Y A C Y privacy. Yeah, privacy P R Y V A C Y exactly. It's perfect. That's what yeah. they're doing. That's what we have now is privacy. <laughs> That's right. It's perfect. Um, on to the minimum wage. You didn't expect this at all, right? There's an yeah. article from Watchdog.org, and really it's photo that pretty much speaks for itself, but also a little bit of journalism required to make sure that this was actually a real receipt. A receipt from a parking garage in Seattle. And, you know, there's they have the charges and they've got the city tax and the airport access fee and the sales tax, right? You think you're paying $84 for your parking and suddenly it comes out to $105.59. Why? Because one of the new surcharges in a lot of businesses in Seattle right now is something called the living wage surcharge. And on this bill for $84, it turns out to be $6.93. Didn't you say in another article, Boss, you read it was about eight and a quarter percent that some businesses were charging? I believe so. The living. So in, right, in right. Seattle, everyone feels right. wonderful. They have a $15 minimum wage, a quote living wage. And in order to pay for that, some businesses are passing the cost right exactly. along to their customers. Whichever knows. The living wage surcharge. But, if, you know, if you talk about raising minimum wage, that's, it. that's, that's where the conversation starts for, you know, for them. Hey, I did that. Consequences, whatever. It doesn't matter. I did that. Vote for me again. So this is one of the consequences that the cost is going to be passed along to the customers. I don't know that all businesses are choosing to do this. Some of them maybe believe that it is their moral duty to pay $15 where they, were, they really wanted to or whether they really found that employee was worth $15 an hour. So maybe they mm-hmm. are hiding it or yeah, they're going to tr- try to go on and, and maybe sacrifice and, and not make as much profit. This might be a, a unique uh, observation, but they're selling illusions you know, again and again and again. This is what they do, the left. The right does to some extent, but the left, this is what they do. Uh, feel good stuff. Don't get too. Don't look into this thing that I'm talking about too much. You know, and just you. We want that, right? Isn't that better? Doesn't make you feel better? Okay, good. Vote for me. It's the the sale of illusions to people, and they buy them. And that really is one way that people could go with this: is that they could just charge more for what they offer. And I would say that all of us should pretty much boycott. Seattle. Absolutely. No <laughs> doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, Seattle's a gorgeous place, and I have visited there. Well. And it, but I would not want to go there right now and be charged an extra eight and a quarter percent for every single thing that I'm going to be doing while I'm there. Because a politician wants to get some votes, some rep. Exactly. So that's one route. They charge people more. The other route is something that's talked about in a blog post. This was actually shared by your own Brooke earlier today, I believe, and it's John Cochran's blog. He calls itself, it's The Grumpy Economist. I haven't visited this blog before, but I love that title, The Grumpy Economist, and it's McDonald's and the Minimum Wage, and in it, it's, it's quite a lengthy post, but he's talking about the fact that all this minimum wage is doing is encouraging an evolution of this sort of business, a fast food restaurant, to automation. Because automation is going to be a cheaper way to provide people with the service. So you've got a robot order taker or some little kiosk order taker. You could have little drones in the restaurant delivering your food to your table, right? So he's talking about all this in here. 
And I thought it was it's really true, you know, and, and he's saying it might be that, for instance, a McDonald's or whatever right now is not going to immediately make the change because even with a $15 well, for example, go, minimum wage. Then it's still cheaper to, to have people. Then the government will try right. to regulate that. It's just you know out of out of existence. So, Ugh, yeah, what a mess. Well, and and then the other thing you said that this is going to essentially do is it's going to turn out to be that the high skilled workers. There's going to be more of a call for high skilled workers right. if they automate. Are just going to be subsidizing the low skilled workers who can no longer get employment. Right. Because they're going to be on unemployment. We still have the so-called safety net that lets them get money forever. By the way, the employment figures came out. I took a look at that story. I was going to talk about it today. But it looks like the unemployment rate is exactly the same, and the percentage participation in the workforce is still the lowest that it's been in 36 years. So as much as some of the headlines out there say, oh, we created over 200,000 jobs last month, you know, they also tell you, Oh, yeah, well, we downgraded the numbers for April that we were celebrating last time. But really, don't listen to us anyway, because still, it's such great news, you know? Ridiculous. If, if, if a Republican was president, they'd call it a depression today. That's, that's, the, that's what the media would do, you know? They, this is a depression. Well, and, and then to talk about a five-year recovery, that's the sort of thing that's going around in the Wall Street Journal article about it. Well, it's a makes us optimistic about our five-year recovery. What do you mean a five-year recovery? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Wall Street Journal was the worst coverage about it. Then you go over to Dredge, and Dredge links to a couple stories that give you the the full picture. It's all a matter of looking at those numbers and interpreting them from a certain perspective. That's really what a lot of this is. At 99 weeks, says Ed in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio, it's the safety hammock, not the safety (laughs) net. Sitting back, not even reading. Just sitting back and maybe playing some video games. Who knows? We've got only a couple minutes left, and we've actually gone through the stories that I wanted to get through. I was pretty happy. The one thing I wanted to say is bravo to the Governor Fallon of Oklahoma. She actually signed the bill repealing the Oklahoma Common Core Standards. So the good news for this week is that on the fronts of education and free speech, we have politicians out there who are doing the right thing. These are core areas where we have to keep doing the right thing in order to ensure a future for the country. A couple of other announcements just before we go. I wanted to say that, first of all, I've been announced as a speaker for the Undercurrent Student Objectivist Conference in October. I've got a link to the Undercurrent where you can go help support them and make sure that the conference is well-funded and actually happens in October. That's at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. And I also threw in a link there to the Objectivist Summer Conference. It's not too late to sign up and come see me there as well. I'm going to be giving one talk and also participating on a panel. So I hope to see a lot of you there as well. You wanted to say something, Bosh? We've got about a minute left. No, just about music. You were, you were talking about that. Maybe we'll talk about that next week or another time, about uh, the, the popularity of certain type of music today and the unpopularity of, of, of other music, melodic music. But we'll talk about that. Yeah, no, and actually what we might do, because you know that Blog Talk listeners, you who are listening live right now, in order for you not to get kicked out of the chat room, we're going to go ahead and hang on for a couple minutes after the formal closing of the show. So we might take up that topic there. If you're listening to this show on Liberty Express or AMFM 24-7, you can go over to my page on Blog Talk Radio and listen to the last several bonus minutes that I have for people who come and listen live and participate in the chat room. So thanks, everyone. If you want to continue the discussion, you can also go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, leave comments, 
uh, donate to the show. We don't object about that either. But thank you, everyone. Also, spread the word about the show if you enjoy it. Again, word of mouth for us, like it is with the Jezebels, very important stuff. So we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Yeah, that's more Jezebels. That is The Look of Love, which is the, I think, first single that they took off of this album. They have got a video out there that you can find. You can find all this stuff on YouTube, too. You can listen to it for free for a while. Try before you buy style as well. So, yeah, about music. Let's, let's make have that one. Cause I was, yeah, you, 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 you brought it up, and yeah. I, I'll bounce off it, but maybe it's your thing. Well, your and I, I was trying to think about this. I was thinking, okay, here's this band who is melodic, turning out melodic, danceable music that still has something more to it. And she can sing. Yes. Generally sing and reach for places that a lot of singers that I don't, you know, really, really push it. Right. But in general, you've got this quality band turning out melodic stuff. And why are they not yet getting a bigger audience here in the United States? I would say the songwriting ability that they have probably exceeds Duran Duran. I hate to say that. No, they're a better band. Because I love Duran Duran for so many years. No, they are. They I don't, I don't know. Impact. I mean, no. at, least, at least they're neck and neck, okay? No. Well, no. whatever. We, we can, we can <laughs> talk about that another time. But oh, my, my point is, not, well, Duran Duran gets uh, huge audience. You can't audiences. talk about it now. <laughs> no. no, seriously, they're a better band than dancer. Come on. I mean, they're more impactful. They're more powerful. They're they have a bigger sound. For purposes of the following argument, for purposes of the following argument, yeah. all we need logically Unlike is to Simone say, Unlike Simone Le Bon, you know, she can sing. <laughs> what? Simone, or what's her name? Uh, <laughs> um, all we need is that they're comparable, and then you no. say, okay, so why not the bigger audience? And I was thinking about the fact that us we who grew up in the 80s with 80s music that we were accustomed to melodic music good with music. a more positive sense of life like the Jezebels there had. There were a lot of good bands, good music, good sounds. And I, I don't think... 90s came, you got grunge and you got rap right. and all that crap. And I don't think it's an accident that Haley says that they have been listening to more 80s music yeah. because that's their soulmates, basically. The 80s musicians are their... Soulmates musically. It endures. Right. I mean, it endures. We're, we're talking, we're 30 years later, and still a lot of those songs, and even, even a band like U2 still producing work today that's good from the 80s. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. So then you want to hear rationalism? This is, okay. this is like hangover rationalism. Okay. So, okay, so, so the people who like this kind of music are the ones who were growing up with this kind of music, and they're from the 80s. People who are growing up with the grungy in the 90s and beyond don't really have a taste for this as much so the, so the people who have a taste for this are older it's not and, part of them it's not part of them that kind mm-hmm. of the, you know that, that kind of expectation of good melodies and good songs it's just, it's just not part of them they're exposed to crap there's so much crap in their see rap music crap music yeah. i have cousins who are into that still i just i find it it's unreal to me rap music they steal you know sounds from other ones and they go out there and they spew this garbage i mean it's just it's and look i'm not going to be you know the old guy who trashes you know rap 
there's one fun one. You know, it, it could be funny sometimes, but that's about it. I mean, Ben Foles did a cover. Uh, you remember what I say it? Bitches ain't shit. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. But that to me, it's 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 only fun in that sense if you mock it. That's about it. It's right. just it's ugly, disgusting music. Anyway, so so here's the idea. So it's older people. Now, what's happening to older people? Why aren't they showing up for the shows or getting involved? It could just be lifestyle issues. They've got kids. You know, I, I know one listener wrote to me and said, I've got an important music recital for my kid and I can't go to the show. So, you know, basically just right. lifestyle things. But the other thing is you wonder if some of the older people have lost a lot of their optimism that they've become cynical and so yeah. looking for this type of music is not really their cup of tea anymore. Joel says something good here is true. Yeah, Joel in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio, he says that I don't really see a lot of 90s nostalgia radio stations, but 80s nostalgia is all over the place. Yeah. He says, I don't think it's a generational time lag either. I'm thinking not. No, and because, you know, Haley just proves it also. She's looking at the 80s movie. She was, you know, she, she was, a, what, born in the 80s? Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about this, and when I, I I might be misquoting him, but I remember Leonard saying that the um, Leonard Pickoff. Yeah, the the culture in Australia is like fifty years behind ours or something. Now, for purposes of today, you don't really need it to be fifty years. You could say maybe it's thirty years no. behind ours or something. So imagine that Haley was in essence sort of growing up in a sixties seventies Berkeley style area. And then becomes right, right, right. So she she ends up becoming more like an '80s style musician, having come from Australia. Right. That's so there funny. was that sort of thought. Um, the other sort of thought was that it's maybe not a coincidence that people who like Ayn Rand and who say no, you're going to try to keep the idealism of your youth as bad as a lot of things in politics and everything are getting out there that those people are going to be people who more likely than not like the Jezebels. Some people just don't like pop music. It's not their cup of tea. They're sure. more classically yes. oriented. But if you grow up listening to popular music, the question is what type of popular music did you grow up listening to? And people who grew up in the 80s listening to popular music got a dose of optimism and melody yeah. that you don't get in a lot were, of the pop music since. There were a lot of good, you know, even uh, one-hit wonders, whatever, but those, those hits were really great. Just a simple example. It's popular, but modern English, Stop the World and Melt With You, mm -hmm. it's a great song. And I don't know any other songs that they did, but when you can have a band make that kind of great song, a singular song, like even um, AHA, you know, Take On Me, I think it's called, it's mm -hmm. just good stuff. It's fun. It's uh, it's hopeful. It's just it's just fun music. Sarah Bareilles, uh, and then also uh, Sarah McLaughlin is excellent. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff, but in any event, I have to I have to thank the unlikely chain of events that led me to the Jezebels, and I actually talked about this on Facebook. But I mean, this is true story. Okay, got into BMWs, just thought they were good cars and fun to drive. Got into Mini because Mini was coming out. It was brand new from BMW, the Mini Cooper, and such a cool little car. So I got so enthusiastic about the Mini that I signed up to go to a meetup for Mini enthusiasts early on Sunday. I had to get up at the crack of dawn on one Sunday. I remember this. I'm out on the driveway getting into the Mini, and I see across the street in the neighborhood that I lived in 
just walking on the sidewalk across the street, a wild cat of some kind, some very exotic looking, very strong and powerful and graceful wild cat. Oh, I've never had a cat before, but I want a cat. Started looking into cats and the logistics of it and that, um, you know, would do you want to declaw? Do you not want to declaw? If you don't declaw, your furniture is going to get destroyed. I said, okay, I want to get a second dog. Looked into dog breeds. My size and coat requirements led me also with my aesthetic taste to a little breed from France that was virtually unknown at the time called the Pyrenean Shepherd. Finally got a Pyrenean Shepherd after many months of corresponding with the breeder that brought them over from France. I got one. It was very lucky that I got one because this one had a heart murmur. Breeder couldn't sell her and said, well, you know nothing. You're a novice, but I'll let you have this dog as long as you promise to take good care of her. Awesome dog. Had a great dog agility career. I got involved in dog agility. Why? This breed's supposed to be good at them and supposed to be good at it. And I've always been somewhat athletic, so I start getting involved in dog agility. Dog agility leads me to Sylvia Turkman, an internationally renowned dog agility trainer. I see a video by her who has Jezebels in the background, and boom. That's literally how I found the Jezebels. So this just tells you that if you pursue values, it's not going to end, right? There's going to be things, one value that leads you to the pursue another value of a different kind. And then the funny thing is now that you've heard the interview with Haley Mary, for her to have it lead back right to Ayn Rand again and come full circle, that's fun. I just, you know, one thing that just shoots mind, if you pursue truth, you're going to find Ayn Rand at some point. I mean, just, yeah. I, I believe you really will. It, it, it's almost inevitable. Definitely. Anything, anything else we got here in the chat room? Oh, Earl says it was a hilarious Facebook post. But the, the point was, it was—I mean, it was true. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. This unlikely chain of events that would finally lead me to the Jezebels. Are people talking about? Oh, um, Sarah Brellis does uh, Brellis Brellis. Do you know uh, Brellis? I'm not sure. Take on me. I found it on. Uh, oh, you found the cover. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Maybe we should play that next time. We should definitely cool. check that out. I like the cover also by the Jezebels of Journey. Don't mm-hmm. stop believing. Yeah. It's funny. Again, don't stop believing. Right. Very optimistic. Yeah, they're they're reaching. You know, they're reaching. Um, they're not accepting the world as it is, as artists shouldn't. You know, what did Victor Hugo say? If I were basically to, uh, how do you put it, about, about throwing his pen away, if you were basically to write for his time, he'd just throw his pen away. I think that's what he said. Rand quoted him in one of the introductions. They're reaching. I'm not going to try to, you know, equate them with, with any great artist in the past. But what, but what I'm saying is every great artist does that. They reach away from the time to something that's true. And, you know, right now we live in an age where lies are just, I mean, being told to us every single day from every corner. I mean, this is the wonderful thing is I think that they are doing it for themselves, that they're able to do music that they like. And again, she talks about the fact that it's hard for four different people to all have the same exact enthusiasm about every single song that they do. (laughs) But they are all able to be happy making and performing music with each other in this group and they're able to apparently earn a living doing it and going out there independently it makes it easier to do today but they're also able to travel internationally and bring their music to the world i think it's a wonderful thing that somebody can pursue their own values even if they're not going to become a huge hit i I wish that they become a huge hit i wish for them but the fact that they are able to do what they can do now i think in europe they're big Mm -hmm. Just here, not quite hit it yet. 
They're even playing a a jazz festival someplace as well. They've been asked to do that. I thought that was kind of a unique thing. I think a jazz festival in Europe. But it's great. It's great that they're able to travel the world, do what they love. And, you know, that, that brings me back just in a small way to this show and everyone who's been supporting us here on this show. Thank you very much because I love talking to you guys once a week and you have made it possible by donating, actually supporting the show, also by listening to the show, by, you know, I've talked about this before, the idea of you coming on a weekly basis and listening to a podcast, that's a commitment on your part as well. So anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you for indulging me today. If the Jezebels aren't exactly quite your cup of tea. And I hope that that was still worthwhile for you, at least to know that even if you're not into popular music, the idea that a, an up and coming and award winning in Australia musician has been influenced, I think, positively by Ayn Rand. I mean, it's just kind of cool to hear. It's it's kind of random, and it's a cool thing to hear. It's just a little see? piece. Someone someone in the chat room was saying earlier, you know, one person at a time. Yeah, and, Joel, Joel was saying. Right. And, and that's the thing about Rand. She's all over the place. She's in, in, in the culture, just going everywhere in little bits. And I mean, is it, it's like Rand described Rourke's uh, career. Remember that? Across the country, across the world, little, you know, explosions happening. That's what Rand, that's what Rand's doing, and uh, she's influenced people that we have no idea about. I mean, we had to basically pull this out of her. She would never have volunteered this in other interviews, probably, because as she said, it's too controversial. Right. You answered the question flat out. And I she mean, was honest enough to say yes. The way that she answered it, I pretty much believe that when I asked her what she read, that she <laughs> wanted to mention Atlas yeah, in that list she and said, censored herself. She, yes, and she <laughs> said, actually, remember before I said I was environmentalist? Well, you yeah. know, and she, she was she was a gung-ho environmentalist. She understands quite a lot about the philosophy. No, no doubt. And I, 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 just, I think it would be there's wonderful to speak with there. her if I get to. There's we'll a, res- there's a, she cannot help but be respectful towards the ideas that she came across with Rand. And if you really listen to it, again, if you want, and just, just the end part, just see how positive she was about Rand. No matter what, you know, she said at one point, well, Rand died, you know, alone. alone. And that's just not true. That's another thing that Barbara Brandon, as Joel mentioned, uh, she put out there. And I saw Barbara Brandon speak a number of years ago, and she was saying how overwhelmed Rand was by the negative reviews of Atlas. And she was talking in a way where I, I was shocked. She was talking about the great, you know, the great Ayn Rand. And I'm looking around the audience, and some of them are crying. And I, I was just looking back like, this is just not true. She could have been affected by some stuff, yes, but to say that she was beaten by it, absolute lie the thing i really liked about Haley is that she digested the book and came away with a first-hand understanding on a significant level yes and, and we'll a first-hand understanding and appreciation not the fountainhead not anthem atlas shrugged yeah. that's no, that, that that's another question i should i should that have asked her this question why why novel. atlas shrugged first exactly. why not the fountain i should have that's asked i'm kicking one. myself i mean about you got that. some leftists who like the fountainhead yeah. You know, in, in their own little tunnel vision way, you know, like, well, right. it's like Mark Cuban. He's a leftist, but he's like, oh, man, that's great. Who knows what the hell he gets out of it? But they see uh, an individualist in their mind, well, doing some crazy stuff, and that's how they probably view it. But she read Atlas Shrugged, the explicit presentation of Iran's philosophy. You know, the, cur- the current editor of Reason Magazine... I heard him on Red Eye say that he has not read Atlas yeah, Shrugged. Yeah, and he's totally fine with that. He almost he was dismissive of the book, and the other hack, uh, Andy Levy, was saying something like, oh, I don't know, but he also dismissed it. A thousand pages. Yeah, it's too long, yeah. too long. And these guys and are self-respecting. here's a musician from Australia who read the whole darn thing. Who comes from, who's surrounded by leftists. 
Christian, she's surrounded by leftists and, and and hippies, but she came clean and said, well, I don't really like hippies, you know. That's funny. You know, that could be part of it, though, is that these libertarians don't understand how radical the ideas are, whereas yeah. Haley has an understanding of how radical the ideas yeah, are no doubt. in her circle, and so more of an appreciation for the novel than they do. They think they take all the ideas for granted, and the ideas came in this era from her. I mean, so, she's just uh, anyway, she will, enough. Her influence will continue. Thanks, everyone. We're going to go now, and we thank you for hanging out here in the chat room. Seven in the chat room says that I blew the mind out of the programmers at the iTunes You May Like recommendations. Yeah, because I've got the people, I'm sending people to both Ayn Rand and the Jezebels, and they're going, what? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, good, everyone. Appreciate that. And then uh, one more thing with Earl here. Earl says that he thinks that Haley enjoyed and reveled a little bit in the subversive, controversial aspect of liking Ayn Rand. I think think that sounds right. But the interesting thing is, I think she's, when she uses the term subversive, I think she still is referring to a left-wing subversion, which really isn't subversion at all. And that's another kind of discussion I'd like to have with her at at some point. Maybe if we're really lucky, she'll listen to this and she'll follow up on on some of it. So Haley, if you listen, if you have listened to this, thanks again. And do when I mean just whenever you've got time. Yep. If you want to talk, get in touch. It would be fun. Take care, everyone. Take care. Thank, Thank you. you. And we'll talk to you next week.